Sauce Talk Podcast. What up, everybody? This is your boy Asigati Sauce, and this is the first episode of the Sauce Talk Podcast. It's been a long time coming, but we're finally here, and there was no way I was starting off this pod without doing the introductory episode with my day one homie. Today's guest and I have known each other for about almost 20 years now, and even though we don't see each other every day anymore, when we do reunite, it's like we've never been apart in the first place. For years, we were absolutely inseparable. When you were looking for one of us, all you had to do was find the other and your mission would be accomplished. We did everything together for quite a few years, resulting in nothing short of fantastic memories and lots and lots of laughs. We've been through a hell of a lot of shit together over the years, and to say I'm proud of this man is an understatement. There was a moment in time when we both were in bad shape, but through hard work and perseverance, managed to come out on the good end of the stick, if you will. His journey is a remarkable one, and I can't wait to share it with you all. So without further ado, welcome my brother, the Cedar Grove, a.k.a. Cedar Grave legend, Giovanni Escamilla, a.k.a. G-Money. Yo, yo. <laughs> What's up, baby? How much? Good to be here on the uh You're in the Al-Qaeda, baby. Yeah, Al-Qaeda. It's nice in here. Sitting right next to the DDR. All day. Brings back memories of the Jersey Shore. Ooh, fun and games, more and, importantly. And fun and games. More importantly. I spent a lot of time at the Jersey Shore with uh, Joe Hop on the boardwalk playing DDR. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah that was his stomping grounds for a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Well, it was like not a lot of time, but we would go uh, one, Shout out Joe one, week, uh, one week per summer. His family and mine went down at the same time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he, uh, he loved DDR. So did uh, your boy Gerard Brown. Shout oh, out Gerard. Yeah. DDR master. Yeah, I mean, you know what's weird about like those down the shore arcades? You know, all that salt water in the air. Like it definitely corroded a lot of those machines. True, it had to have because that stuff like gets in through every crack. And the DDR was outside. Yeah, like, almost a lot of those on the boardwalk. Yeah, those and the uh, the punching machines were always like on the fucking boardwalk. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, again, you know, I just want to say I'm insanely I'm insanely proud of you, dude. I can't even like really like you know put it into words. You really did it. You you climbed out of this this like never ending pit. It seemed. Yeah, for so. sure. So did you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as proud of myself as I am of you, though, because <laughs> your hole was a little deeper. Yeah, it was a little bit. Yeah, a little deeper. You know, it brings me to you know. I think yeah. about it, man. It brings me to tears, like where we were and where we are now, especially you. You know, there was a brief moment where, you know, I wasn't too sure on uh, any any of the outcomes. <laughs> Neither was I. At yeah, all. it was. It was a fucking. It was a wild time, but um, you know. Before, before we start to get the ball rolling, you and I, I want to just share with the listeners out there that are listening to this episode. First of all, thank you for uh, coming here for the first time. But you and I have never spoke publicly about a lot of the stuff we're going to speak about today, especially me. Um, you have on a different level, which we'll touch on later. But uh, I've never really publicly spoke about it. Unless you're close to me and you kind of knew, I never did. So we're both going to get, I guess you could say, uh, vulnerable. For that's a little a good bit, word. yeah. But I mean, not only will this be informative uh, to people that are in dire need of of some help or 
just to hear uh, another voice that they can relate to. It will also be therapeutic for, uh, you know, for you and I to talk about things we haven't talked about in maybe 15, 10 years and, you know, just to get some stuff off of our chest. So I just wanted to, you know, say that before moving forward. Cause we both, we both been through a lot. Yeah, we definitely have. A lot I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, you could even say like a good portion of it was, was rather a miracle. <laughs> yeah, it really was. We, so we met, what year was it we met? We, you said we almost met twenty. So two thousand five. It had to have been the end of yeah. It had to have been the end of two thousand four. I think when I first met you, I might have been either a ending my regular senior year or b starting my super senior year. So I think it was two thousand five. Yeah, you know what? I think that's right. I think it was the summer after I graduated. Yeah, which was we're the same age. Yes, so maybe two thousand four. Yeah, so it was probably the summer of oh four. Yeah, hundred percent. And then I, yeah, that's right. That's right. Hanging Not, with Joel. Yes. We were at, um, where was it? The Verona High School. Well, that's when I remember. I remember we talked once before and you told me about fun and games you remember was being the first time I met you. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, because that was, uh, I think, when I met you at Fun and Games, that's when the whole, you wanted me to do a voice on your voicemail. Really? Yeah. An old Italian guy voice. Oh yes, the ra- <laughs> I think I, I don't the know OG why you rash. heard it, but you heard it at Fun and Games. And anytime right. we ran into each other after that, you said we got to. Uh, I think you wanted me to record something. Yeah, holy phone. shit! You know what's crazy? I've never thought about this until now. Yeah, I just remembered too. Holy shit! But then You're I remember right. the the parking lot with Joel. I don't know how we ended up in that parking lot. I guess I met you guys there. Yeah, it was, the, it was the Verona High School tennis courts. At night, they would have like the lights up, so sometimes I'd obviously had my license. I had my, uh, I think it was a 97 Eclipse yeah. or a 96 Mitsubishi Eclipse. It was like, like a purple gray. I could still smell it. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it had a unique smell. You want to know why, dude? I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I hated that fucking smell in that car. <laughs> you know where we bought that fucking car? Where? Where you fucking reside currently in Jersey City. Oh, I'm one of nine. I wanted to use car the spots. Indian Haven. We bought it privately <laughs> off some fucking Vantosak. We bought it from Vantosak. <laughs> and I couldn't, rem- I remember like getting that car detailed and seeing curried rice stuck in oh every God. nook and crant and that smell. I couldn't get out of that fucking car. And then I added some fresh Newport Wines and something else. Yeah. Dude. Definitely some cologne or something in there. Yeah, something. I just, you reminded me of when I first, when I first <laughs> bought that shit. It was fucking disgusting. But anyway, yeah, it was the tennis courts. Uh, I wonder if you remember, you remember Adam Tong, right? Yeah. I think Adam Tong was there too. Cause aren't him and Joel like, or they would call each other cousins, but they weren't. I think you're right. Shout out Joel. They would call each other cousins, maybe. They were good friends. Very close. Good gamers, too. They were big big into gaming. Right. And they played in a band together. That's right. They did. What was the name of that Looking band? Looking Past. Holy shit. That was after that day. Were they in that band at that time? Currently, no. Looking Past was formed later, wasn't it? Holy shit. I, I haven't remember. heard that name in years, either. I don't remember. Yeah, it was around that time, within a year or two, probably. Yeah, I never, I never forget the, uh, meeting you that night. We clicked immediately. Ever since then, we've been a uh, look where yeah. we're at now. It's fucking 2023 going on 24. Yeah, that's fucking wild. Um, I mean, Dunkin' Donuts on Pompton was like the spot that like everybody, everybody used to kick it at. We lived know? there. 
Yeah, and almost what's crazy is now how non-existent that is. Was that the first spot that we were hanging out regular? Like all of us every night? Was it right from that point on? We were just there every night, you think? You know, to be honest with you, I don't, I'm not, I don't really recollect. I think it was. That and was then, a long time ago, man. And then we migrated in the summertime. I mean, it was the summertime, but down to uh, maybe the next summer, down yeah, to my mom's house, hanging out in the yard. Exactly. So that's, that's what happened. I mean, hanging out with you started, I, I like to call it the Cedar Grove era, quote unquote. That's what started. Growing up, I always had like summers I'd chilling in Caldwell or Parsippany, but that was what started the, uh, the Cedar Grove era for me. And right after we started hanging out, uh, the very next year, you got knee surgery, right? Yeah. Which was, prop, was that the, sum, no. I think I, I, think I got knee 2005. surgery. Wasn't it, was it two, five, oh, five or oh, six when you got your, your knee surgery? Not, it wasn't your first one either, right? You know right? what? It had to be oh, five because we went to IAR and I graduated in oh, six, but I but started you were still in oh, five. Yes. So you uh, had to have gotten it the summer of oh, five. Yeah. Okay. So it was that very next year. So when you and I hung out for about a year. Right. And then while I'm hanging out with you, you get your knee surgery, which is close to the summer of oh, five. And that yeah. wasn't your first one either, right? No. It was my second major knee surgery. I had a couple of little cleanup surgeries in between. I think it was the What the about your fifth. first one? What was the original thing that started this knee issue with you? Because I'm interested in that stuff. So I, uh, you know, growing up, I was a skater kid. I would always skateboard or aggressive inline skate. And yeah. uh, at some point in time, maybe around 14, 15, I knew that every day, when I was skating or after like an hour or two, my knee was hurting. But I didn't do anything about it. I didn't go to a doctor or anything like that. Yeah. But one day, I was in Oakland where my dad lived. And me, my little brother, Kylie, and Jerry Apuzzi, Apuzzi. we went to this spot where there was this really low handrail. And um, I, I fell and broke my wrist on the rail. Like really bad, too. Oof. It looked like an S. Oh my God. And um, after that, I went to the hospital. And when I was there, I just mentioned to the doctor that my knee hurt too. So they did like an x ray or MRI or something and discovered that I had this condition called osteochondritis desiccans. What the fuck? It's a very rare, con- it, it's a rare condition that is uh, common in young, I think, I believe, like teenage athletes. Now, I wasn't an athlete, but I skated. So I guess. I don't really know what the cause is. I know huh. skateboarding made it worse. I don't yeah, know yeah. what came first. I don't really understand it still. But uh, so then after that, I started seeing a orthopedic surgeon uh, in New York, and then I got this surgery done when I was sixteen. And it was uh, they put dissolvable. It's hard to explain without showing a picture of what it is. But okay. a big chunk of bone slash cartilage was cracked off and just Oof. hanging there. And they, were, they told me that, you know, any day I'm just going to collapse, basically. Holy shit. So they put it, they put the piece back on with dissolvable pins. Dissolvable and, pins. Yeah. And then uh, I was totally non-weight bearing on crutches for, I don't even know how, month, how many months, but it seemed like in my mind that- And you were going to school like, like this, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was tough to not- I mean, I got good with the crutches and stuff, you know. It was, yeah. But uh, I don't remember how many months it was, but it was a long time. It wasn't an average knee surgery. I couldn't put any weight at all on oh, the left man. leg for months at a time. Oh, my God. At least three. So that was your first like, major one. And then you said you had a couple of cleanups before yeah, the second one? Because it What's didn't. What's a cleanup involved? Like, 
What do you mean by cleanup? The surgery wasn't fully successful. So uh, it seemed successful. For the time being. And then um, what would happen is uh, I would feel. So really what would happen is I put my guard down and say I put a little too much weight. I remember one time. Got careless. You thought you were, you were scot-free. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought I was good. And you know, I never really thought about this until years later when I got sober and stuff. That uh, I don't know if it was related at all, but I remember one time specifically when it happened. I was good. I wasn't on crutches anymore, but we were, you know, getting into some trouble in the middle of the night yeah. you know, at my mom's house, probably two, three in the morning. And uh, we used to, you know, terrorize the town. Of and course, I don't remember exactly what we were doing, but we had to run. And when I ran, I felt this click. Ooh. And then I felt, I could feel a little pebble of bone in my like leg. rolling around? And I can move it around from the left to the right. Ugh. And then I went back to the, to the surgeon and he said, all right, it's still better than it was. You know, you're at 80% now, whatever. So we'll just remove this piece and then you'll be all right. And, and then it happened again another time. Another piece? Yeah, after that, Jesus a few months Christ. later. So it those are the again. cleanups, they're removing the, yeah. the bone the deteriorating from your of body. bone that are coming off. Now, I don't really know, you know, I don't remember the second one, what happened. I think I was just walking and it happened. And then uh, same thing, I can move it around. Yeah, and yeah. He said, it's still better than it was. If it happens again, we'll have to do a major, we have to take a look at this and see what we could do. So and it happened again. That leads up to when I to met the, you. Yeah, and then that was the next surgery. I was on a waiting list for a cadaver for a long time. Holy shit. And uh, I guess it never, they never found a match or something like that. So there was this like new technology called OATS, literally oats. spelt like OATS, O-A-T-S, like a, I think. What, an acronym or something like that for what? Maybe. And it was uh, like synthetic bone. And it looked like golf tees. And oh, they took yeah? the whole spot where the, the cartilage and bone was like cracked off and they just uh-huh. plugged it up with these. Oh, wow. And it literally looked like they just hammered them in. And then over time, it smoothed out. Oh, no shit. And they said it would, uh, the goal was to, to get me to age 30 before having to get a total knee replacement. Oh, man. And uh, I'm 37 now. I haven't needed one yet. I had a little scare a few months back, and I did get another cleanup surgery. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, but, yes. But it wasn't, That's right. But it wasn't bone this time. It was scar tissue that was just forming, hanging, Oof. like a strand. I thought because I was able to move it around, I thought it was a little pebble bone. Oh, that's so again. weird. But it wasn't. And uh, ever it's, since then, I've been feeling pretty. It's good. your left knee, right? Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. Well, it's safe to say, <laughs> after that second surgery, major, which is the one that I met you at, that that changed not only your life, <laughs> but it changed <laughs> our lives yeah. forever. Around that time when you got that surgery, obviously you were on crutches and stuff. So as you mentioned, summer of 05 is when we started to hang out at your house a lot. Because you're on crutches, you're not going to obviously get in cars, maneuver. So we started hanging out at your house, which to the listeners listening, the house that G grew up in is very unique. His mother and father are actually chiropractors. They're no longer together. And uh, at the time when I met G, they weren't together. So it was technically his mom's house. And... Uh, his mom's a chiropractor, so it doubled as a chiropractic office. The whole sign in the front and everything, just like a real, a real, you know, uh, commercial sign and all that chiropractic office. And uh, downstairs was the office, and upstairs was where uh, him and his mom lived. 
And I just that was the coolest place to hang out because it was so strange. You come in through the front and it was, you know, the whole office and everything. But then once you get out of the office towards the, the back left of the house, it was like a hangout area. And your mom had very interesting taste. Her yeah. decor was very eclectic and eccentric, if you will. She got most of her stuff at estate sales. Ah, that makes sense. But like really cool she couches liked, and yeah. stuff. And you had the, you were like one of the only people I knew at the time that had a, uh, a projector in a movie theater. And that was like the coolest thing to be able to watch. You Can't know, forget the centipede machine. Up, that was upstairs though, yeah. That was really cool. Oh, yeah, it's downstairs now. Upstairs was even cooler because that really felt like I was on the 70s show. Yeah. Orange leather and like, you know, lime green, purple. Your house itself had like, what, like lilac or like violet, um, Aluminum, not aluminum siding, wooden siding and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that house. I miss that house. I got to go visit one day. Shout out to your mom. Shout out to Gina. You got to come get the pachinko machine. I do. It's still in the, it's still in the shed? Yeah. Oh, I need to come get that. Got to put that somewhere. Maybe I could throw it somewhere in here or in my house. Yeah. But I remember that. That was uh, Those were good times. We used to hang out in your backyard a lot. Yeah. While you were on the crutches playing card games and all that. And um, those were honestly some of the even though that was the birth of, of our destruction, if you will. That was just some of the, I remember those times. Those were some of the best times ever, the nice cool breeze at night. Oh yeah, it doesn't matter. It was the best time of my life. Summer of that 05, was the best chilling. time ever. Yeah, playing music. And you were, like you said, you were on crutches. And we were drinking too. Uh, we were doing all that. Yeah, it was a, it was a good time, but you know, that was that, that's what changed it all. This was yeah. before and pre the whole uh, painkiller epidemic that, really took this whole fucking country by, uh, by storm. It was like the beginning stages of it. And we didn't even know. We didn't even realize. Nobody did, really. No, I didn't know anyone else that really did it. Yeah. I thought that I had found something unique, you know? Like, yeah. how come nobody else knows about this? Yeah, it's weird. It was, it, was just, it was just gearing up. It was just starting. And that single su- surgery definitely momentarily ruined both of our lives. I remember, I remember when I took my, my first ones with you. You got prescribed, what were they? Five Fives. milligrams, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it now. I think I even remember the insignia that was on it. It might have been um, the endo pharmaceutical ones. Mm-hmm. I believe the fives had like, it said endo, but like the E was in like, yeah. in like cursive or something like that. Do you remember that? I can remember it, yeah. How, what was the, I'm trying to remember. What made me even take them? I know. What? Well, it was the card game. Oh, yeah. We used to play gin rummy all the time, right? Yeah. So we were playing one night. This is what I remember, if it's accurate. We were playing rummy one night, and we would play for money. Not a lot of money. Money, cigarettes, whatever. Yeah, dollar and, change, uh, all that bullshit. And I ran out of money. I had nothing else to, to That's gamble right. With. So you, you wagered I said, that. I got, I got a Percocet. And you were probably curious, I guess. I think you were expressing that you were a little curious, probably because I told you that it felt what, great. What it felt like, yeah. And um, and I lost the game, so you got the Percocet. I don't think you took it right then and there. No, Maybe I think I held it for a little bit. Yeah, but I kind of remember when you took it. Before before I go even further, was that the first time you've ever had painkillers? Because no. did you get them for your first surgery when you were sixteen? Yeah. So, yeah. So I was prescribed when I was sixteen, and I even tried them 
a year before. Oh, you're a sick fuck. When I was 15. How, how, what made you try them? Did somebody else give them to you? They were, they were in the, the medicine cabinet at my uh, house. Which, which is the case for and most people, yeah. I was curious about them because I've heard about them in songs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Eminem songs. And, Vicodin and all that, you know? yeah. So I was just like, I remember one night I was drinking and uh, I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't drinking, I don't think. Yeah, because that takes the edge off. Yeah, I, I took one or two and they were definitely fives too. And uh, I didn't feel anything. Not that I recognize at least. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. I was prescribed at 16 and uh, I didn't fall in love with it right away. What, how it happened was, there was two things. Once was, the one thing was, I would take them, I didn't notice anything, but then I used to have to use a shower chair. I'd have to put a big garbage bag on my leg when I would take a shower. Yeah. And um, I would always, just the timing of day that I would take them, it was like the same every day. My mom would give them to me. Yeah, just like a Tylenol every four hours or whatever. Yeah. It just happened to be before the shower. I guess a couple of times. And I remember just sitting in the shower, sitting on my chair with the warm water hitting me and then just feeling the Percocet kick uh-huh. in. That feeling and I was just like, oh my God. You that know? shower chair, that man. A, that was the first time I ever felt it and like realized that it felt good. I yeah. still didn't really realize I was getting high. But then as time went on, then I would uh, I'd bring some to school and then the, the new pattern started where I would uh, save them up. At 16? So that I could take them during study hall. Oh, And I shit. would just, for that hour, just feel so oh, good. Oh, so you had a little stint with them when you were 16? Yeah. Oh, wow. But when the, when the prescription ran out, it ran out. And you had no issue? You were good? No, no. I, I don't recognize uh, the issue really happening until I knew that they were available. So us together is what ignited was the <laughs> decline because you knew someone with them. I never even knew people sold them on the street. Yeah, that's the issue with you and I. We have a history of fueling each other. Yeah, It's this weird, like I've met other people that I hung out with every day too, but they never had that. <laughs> I was never hanging out with them and had that, that cross... <laughs> You know, that fuel just constantly recycling between us and it just motivated me and motivated you and we we were bad influences on each other. Yeah. As well as good ones, but you know, it was it, it was on a different level. For some reason, there was something with you that I've never had this with anybody else meeting in my life. Yeah. That fueled this oh, crazy yeah. shit that we got involved in. I mean, I just remember like really just never really thinking about it that I could get them anywhere yeah. else you know it was like oh well they're gone now it was fun but then when you had access to them yeah. like, I know someone that has them I couldn't say no yeah, I got, just couldn't it got worse it was impossible to say no yeah I remember the first time I felt it You're, you were right about me not taking it right then and there it might have been that same night though I just remember feeling it for the first time in your bedroom upstairs because when we were done chilling outside we'd go hang out in your, in your room upstairs Mm. It was me, you, and I think it was Joe Hop. Makes I, sense. I remember taking it, and at the time, I quit cigarettes when I was 19. I haven't touched one since. So that was the stages when I was dipping a little bit. Right. And I remember dipping, getting the buzz off the dip, and then the perk smacking. And I was like, <laughs> oh, this is what he was talking about. And that's, you know, obviously all downhill from there. What I think made the, 
doing pills worse and made the whole situation bad was that they were legal. And I think that's the major problem as a whole for many people is it's this mental justification that, oh, it's legal, it's okay. You know, just like alcohol. Oh, it's okay. I'm not going to get in trouble for it, but you're scared of everything else. When in fact, weed is probably better for you health-wise than all that shit. Yeah. You know, alcohol withdrawal can actually kill you. Withdrawal from marijuana is not going to kill you. And that's what I think made it worse. And that's what made it worse for a lot of kids across America. They find it in their cabinet. Oh, this was prescribed to my mom. It's legal. A doctor gave it to me. And that's what fucking, I think, ruined it for probably like the majority of our planet today. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, for sure. Even for me. I I made a promise to uh, myself and a friend of mine who was a year older than me. When I was like 12, 13 years old, I'm not going to mention his name. You don't but, have to. Uh, Sorry. He, uh, some people listening might know. I don't know. Anyway, he, uh, we were in his, we were in his um, sister's room. We had a sleepover, and uh, we, he was going through all her stuff, looking for drugs. Oh God! And, and we had already smoked weed and drank. And, um, You're already shot. Yeah. No, not that night. I'm just saying I had already tried it at this point in oh, time. Gotcha. I was like 12 years old. So you met that night. And then uh, what happened was he found this. He found K. Ketamine. Ketamine. Oh my god. Yeah. His sister was a, his older sister was like a raver. These Cedar girl. Grove kids are fucked up, ladies. Because this is like 98, 99. I just want to share that. Yeah, 98, 99. Sister. Uh, yeah, she was known to be like a party girl, and. Um, so he found this stuff, and uh, he started doing it in front of me. And I was like, let me get some. And he said, he gave me this speech, like as if he was like, you know, a 50-year-old man. This is going to come full circle later. That's funny. Yeah, he gave me this speech about, you know, I don't want you to screw up your life like I did. He's 13, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> he's like, I want you to promise me that you'll never do drugs. Just smoke weed. And oh drink. boy! And for some reason, like during this talk, I looked up to this guy, and I said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I won't," or whatever. Yeah. And I didn't throughout high school, and that was just like the end of six, like it was beginning of seventh grade, maybe. Jesus Christ! And um, so uh, didn't yeah until the the painkillers came around. So, to get to your point, I justified it because I always I made the promise to myself and another friend of mine too. He always said that he thought I was going to do drugs. He said this to me in middle school. Oh, wow. And we had a bet, and we wrote it down. And I, he, uh, yeah, we wrote it, and he saved it. And I don't remember what you were going to win or whatever from the bet. But yeah, yeah. He bet that before graduating high school that I was going to try uh, drugs or something besides smoking weed and drinking. Yeah, yeah. So I had all this stuff in my head. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. But when the painkillers came around, I justified it for the same reason. It's legal. I was prescribed. It doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. But it changed my thinking completely because after I got involved with that, I tried everything else. It just changed my... Uh, it broke the barrier. Yeah, like it changed the way I thought. I it wanted was to your get, gateway drug almost. I wanted to get high. I mean, I recognize alcohol as a gateway drug for me because I tried a lot of drugs while I was drinking. Because it took that, um, that worry out of your head. Yeah. But it drops those uh, most of the, governors. Most of it was post painkillers though yeah yeah because i started craving feeling different 
Yeah, yeah. The best part about the painkillers versus the drinking, because I loved drinking at the time when we started doing this, yeah. uh, was because I could drive. I thought I could at least. Yeah, you could function, at least in the beginning, you could function differently. You get hammered, you black out all this stuff. When you get high on a perk or oxy or whatever it is, you can function normally almost. And it also makes you uh, more outgoing, at least in the beginning. Yeah, it doesn't last long, so don't get any ideas, whoever's yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah. It makes you uh, more outgoing and stuff. You can't trust that now, though, the pills. No, you can. Because it could be fentanyl in it. And you could fucking die. Yeah, the game's different now. Yeah. The game's a lot scarier. But after that, man, after that night, it's just, because like I said, we fueled each other. So like yeah. once I knew what it felt like, you started running out. Like you just mentioned, you had nowhere to get them from. That's when I come in. And that's yeah. where I fuck us both because I'm resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. And when I put my mind to something, I go hard. Yeah, oh yeah. And I don't give up until I succeed. Now I'm directing that stuff in other ways of life. But when I don't, you know, I keep going. So, and I, and I started building connections and, you know, it started out taking one five, then it starts taking two. And that first year after that day that I'm speaking of, um, do you remember what increments you started to climb? Because that stuff, your tolerance grows and it grows even stronger later on in this conversation. But do you remember in the beginning, like, how rapidly you climbed to jump to a second or a third. I remember it, yeah. I remember, you know, trying to stay at that amount because we for the longest. We didn't want to I think financially mostly was why I wanted it to stay that way. But we still didn't realize how bad it was yet. No. We didn't realize until the oxys the oxycons came around. But uh I remember going up to twenty to thirty to forty and then around that forty, fifty, sixty that, that was, was a lot of perks. Yeah, that to be might have been eating. a year later. Yeah, we were. I was chewing them up. Yeah, and, that's, uh, uh, but then we discovered the uh, the eighties. Yeah, I have an actual a story about uh, the introduction of the eighties to us. I'll get to it later, and the only reason why I want to get to it later is because it coincides with another piece to this puzzle. Uh, it's a it's a human, and I fucking hate him to this day. Mm. And we're going to get into Wait, that. Do you ever think about this though? I think about this a lot. Around that same time that we started doing this, and these, this progression was kicking in that you're talking about, we both were in such like a important years of life. Yeah. After high school, 19, 18, 19, 20, and we decided to go to the Institute of Audio Research yeah. in Manhattan to try to make careers doing what we love. Yeah. But simultaneously, while going to the school, yeah, it was just, we were it was becoming, just a, a, a giant. We were getting addicted to opiates. It was a giant ball that just kept snowballing. Like, I wonder what would have happened. You know, yeah, I guess I guess you don't really know, right? All my opportunities from that point on in that field and audio were completely taken away by using drugs. Oh, absolutely, completely. Otherwise, things would have been different. But I yeah. wouldn't change it now. Speaking of that, since since you, you brought up the music, I, I'd love to really uh, touch on that. <clears throat> While all this was going on, obviously, as as we both mentioned, um, we just got out of high school, so you were for sure out. <laughs> I had. I had to go back for a little bit because I had so many um, absentee credits to make up and shit. So I had to be a super senior. And I went back for like, it was like four periods a day. Yeah. So I was done by 11 o'clock. I ended up getting suspended that second day. <laughs> you know the story. I don't need to go into it again. When I got arrested for the fight? Bria. Yeah. When I shattered that kid's fucking eye socket. But that's, that's neither here nor there. 
um, you know, some of the best memories I have are not only from those time periods, but one thing that really bonded us together was music. Yeah. And I just remember like us getting high and driving around and listening to just all this new music going on long drives and you know, do you remember GNA? Obviously, you do because you were there last night. You just said before. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I mean that place is is actually a fucking a, a beautiful landmark of New Jersey. Anybody who's listening, GNA is a bagel place on uh, Route 23. I believe it's southbound, but it's in by the Butler. No, not Butler. Um, Kenilon. Kenilon area. That's it. Kenilon, and. uh you know, it's a 24-hour bagel place. You can get all sorts of sandwiches there. Mostly you go there for breakfast sandwiches. But me and G uh, used to drive up there all the time. We used to pop pills and go for long drives. And we used to go to GNA, but it would be, it would be nice, but it would also be, it would, it would induce a little bit of paranoia because there'd be tons of cops that would hang out there also to get coffee and sandwiches. And, and you know, it was just really, really uncomfortable, but amazing at the same time. Those are, those are some other great times of our life, too, is driving up the GNA. I used to love that drive, man. Great late-night road trip. Oh, my God. Listen, to, you know, whether the girls we were talking to, we'd bring on the drives with us and all that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Do you remember the guy? I was thinking this last night. There was a guy we met at GNA that had a recording studio local to the No, spot. I don't. He brought us to the studio. It was just like older, burnt he out. He brought us? We went to his recording studio. I usually have a good memory. I don't remember I don't that. remember his name, but it was like this dude that was probably in his 50s, like with long hair and a beard. and He probably just, was trying to fuck us in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't realize. <laughs> we were taking all these perks all numb. He figured he, we were fucking pin cushions. He had a weird name. I wish I wish I, I don't remember. He gave us his all, business dude. card. I don't remember this at all. Oh, my God. We literally, you and I went to his we studio? Went to his That's studio. how mentally cooked I was. Yeah. We went there. I just, I wish I remember his stu- the name. I don't remember that at all. He's a weird man. guy. He was a kind of a creepy guy. Dude, that place is, dude, Kenilon's weird. That whole area is shot. Butler, Kenilon. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's all very. The, the people change a lot when you go up there. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all very shot. What's, what else is up there? Like Riverdale and. Uh, that's when you start getting towards like Mountain Creek and shit. It gets real backwoods out there. Yeah, Ringwood. Cats chopping right, on their now. brother's mushroom. <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets really fucked up out there. Um, could you could you? This is a tough question. It's almost something that's indescribable, but I just have to ask your perspective on it. Could you describe? Now I'm not trying to glorify this. I just want to <laughs> know. Could you describe in words what it feels like to be high on these things? Hmm. What I used to say back then how I described it, was that I could lay on the pavement and it felt like I was in a really comfortable bed. <laughs> and uh, I mean, be, I mean, besides that, uh, any worries or anxieties or uh, anything, stuff going on in my life that was bothering me was non-existent yeah. completely. It's the truth. And like I said, and it just felt good. Oh my God. We're not trying to glorify it. We just, <clears throat> when you see people like on the streets constantly, like, I don't understand how this, uh, we're going to paint that picture for you, what, it, what it's briefly like and why and how easily it is to get addicted to it. I used to call it, my term, I coined the opiatic static. 
That's what I used to call it. Opiatic is obviously a play on the word opioid. Opioid, however you. What's the proper pronunciation? Opioid or uh, opiate? Op- opiate or opioid? I don't, opiate. I don't really know. I, don't what know. The I two guess. I guess so. Are. Oh, it's the opiate receptors. There, there was so another confused. friend of ours. Definitely can't mention his name on here. Uh, from Verona. Oh he yeah. Used to call it the wave of euphoria. He said, <laughs> "That's what it is, though." Let's go surf in the wave of euphoria. That's what it is, though. He used to deliver at Esposito's with me. It's it's weird. Like we mentioned before, it's. It feels good, but like when you're high on pot or you're drunk, it kind of takes you out of that straight path mentally. You're kind of a yeah. little lopsided. You're a little yeah, fucked yeah. up. When you're high on these things, your body feels good, but you're still, for the most part, mentally there. Yeah, so you, you could still focus, at least in the beginning when yeah. you're not like super abusing it. You feel like you're in control still. And the best part about it is the, um, the jolt of energy you get from it, which is short-lived. Mm-hmm. But you get this boost of, and you just feel lovable. You want to hug people. You want to talk. All that stuff comes rushing in, and you just have this motivation to love and to. And that was probably what kept us going. Yeah, because naturally I'm like a very socially awkward, yeah, shy. I don't have, you know, too much to say. That took it away. Once those were in me, I was, you know, I would talk all night. I was social. I was confident. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I used to like, I started bringing a guitar around. Oh yeah, it's like I'm Corey's touch parties on that, and stuff. Baby. Oh and, yeah, uh, you, you got and, me. And good I, today. I'd be playing for everybody at the party, you know, confidently songs yeah. that I wrote. You I would, got me good today. I would never do that. Now, never. I mean, I mean, I have zero desire to do it now. I'm just saying, at that time, if I wasn't high, I wouldn't have done that. No yeah, because it takes away that that worry. All, all your it gives you confidence almost. And then yeah. at the same time, it rapidly downfalls. Oh, yeah. You get super itchy and you get highly irritable. I used to love watching if we all took it at different times, looking around at the room and seeing my <laughs> friends get mad at different times. Yeah. At different periods of time, man. But our, our love for music was what really, um, really bonded us together, I think, at least. Um, I'd really like to talk about that because, you know, those are some of my most fond memories of you and I, is all the music and how it resonated with us and you know just just music in general at the time it was a different it was a different time not even like how music was but how we received it and took it in i mean these are the days of napster kaza mm-hmm. limewire i mean using oh, yeah. winamp to play the mp3s i mean i know you remember all that stuff oh yeah i had i had at least 5 to 10 albums downloading at all times yeah it became an obsession oh. it became an obsession with me like a deep, deep obsession, especially finding the underground stuff that nobody knew. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about the music industry then. I truly felt like I had a large grip on not only what was being released, what was being worked on, and I just had everything, and I was putting everybody onto it. Now, forget about it. it so much music gets uploaded every day with ease. It's impossible to, you, you'll, you'll hear an artist that's, that has five million followers, and you've never heard them. They're not on TV or yeah. nothing. It's a different time, man. Yeah, it's crazy. But I miss these days that I'm talking about. Napster, yeah. Kazaa, all that stuff, man. That was a really important part. And we both, obviously, we both loved hip-hop. We both had different interests. And we both traded and shared those interests with each other. And our catalogs grew and blossomed as our relationship grew. But, um, you know, hip-hop was always, we both had a deep appreciation for hip-hop. Yeah, for sure. Always. When, when we were driving in the car, when, when we think about those early days of getting high and stuff and those long rides to uh, 
not long rides, but like East Rutherford. No, not East Rutherford. East uh, Hanover. When I think oh, about yeah. driving on Route 10, I think yeah. of, I can narrow it down to like three albums that, or maybe not albums, but artists that we listen to and that remind, if I listen right now, it just brings me right Tell me, there. Because East Hanover, I don't remember any, any albums from that time period. Hit yeah, me. so uh, we got Atmosphere. Oh, God Loves Ugly. The best. That was a good album, man. His last really good one, in my opinion. But Onyx. Oof. All We Got Is Us. Wow. That's right. Oh, yeah. I remember, on, now that you mentioned that, I remember, you I played remember that Onyx. I remember Onyx. Yeah, there were a couple. For some, that, that yeah. time period. And then, um, of course, Kanye West Graduation. Oh, my God. One of the greatest. That was peak Kanye West. I, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps. You brought that up. The hair standing up on the back of my neck, dude. Yeah. I mean, those, those three are the top three that I can think of for that time period. Oh, my God. You know, now that you brought that up, you're making me say this story that I haven't thought about in a long time. When Kanye West graduation came out, you know what? I'm going to go back a little further. My introduction to Kanye West. I'm going off on a tangent, but you just inspired me real quick. All right. Kanye first dropped right before college dropout came out. He was doing like um, press and like stuff with LRG. Remember LRG? Yeah. The clothing company, Lifted Research Group. And I was hanging out at Division East at the time. And there was a DJ that used to hang out there named DJ Chase Kills. Shout out Chase Whitaker. Dude's a fucking, he has his own uh, skate shop now called Blue Flower, I believe. Dude, his kids are like three years old, six years old. He's got like four kids and they all do like ninja warrior shit. Bro, his daughters are stronger than you and I put together the shit they do. Anyway, we're looking at a little magazine and we see uh, the ad of Kanye West come up. And I didn't know who he was at the time. I was like 15 or so. And I was like, yo, who's that? He's like, oh, that's Kanye West. And he says to me, Trust me when I say this, he is the future of hip hop. And he couldn't be more correct. Regardless of my feelings on Kanye West, he couldn't have been more spot on about that because he is exactly sure. that. Yeah. This is when Through the Wire just came out. And when he showed me Through the Wire and when he told me the whole thing about him doing that with his jaw wired shut and the whole thing, it just went crazy. So fast forward to that time, Route 10, that album comes out. It's the feud between him and 50 Cent. I was just going to say that. Yeah, it was that feud. And that he was dropping, what was it, Massacre? Uh, 50 Cent was dropping was Massacre, Massacre, wasn't it? I don't know. I'm looking it up. Yeah, it was It was the was one, I, I believe, where, where he's got his shirt off like he always does. But it has like the blue, the blue like uh, writing and yellow shit all over the place. I thought that was the same album. It might they, be. Uh, might be, yeah. It was good, but it definitely <clears> didn't compare to the to graduation no no but it was cool it was good press it was good for hip hop that beef so I remember when that was going on my friend Chris Berra shout out Chris Berra the grandson of Yogi Berra <laughs> used to work at Sam Goody in the Wilderbrook Mall next to KB Toys remember that place yeah so at the time which I'm gonna touch on later I was selling weed at this time I'm fast forwarding but I was selling weed at the time and he worked there and he used to rob that place blind <laughs> so I used to trade him pot yeah. and he traded me both albums for that now, you remember Montclair? There's that street called Highland Avenue with all the big mansions on it and stuff. There's yep. many streets, but there's that one. And I was hanging out with Mitch Thomasak. Remember Mitch? Yeah. Chris Barra and somebody else. And at, this is at the time when, like I'm going to touch on later, I was selling pot, I was smoking and doing pills, but we're driving down Highland Ave. That's what people used to do. They used to drive down Highland and smoke blunts, go back and forth. Yeah. And we were playing that album to, to, you know, to, to compare the two. Yeah. 
And I'll never forget hearing graduation for the first time. And it just, it absolutely changed my life forever. So I didn't mean to go on that tangent, but you brought up that. I think it was Curtis. Oh, uh, was it? I think so. 2007. Makes sense. I don't know. I could be wrong because I listened to it heavily and I wasn't into 50 Cent at all at the time because the massacre was 2005. You sure it was Curtis? Maybe you're right. I don't know. I think it was because I listened to it a lot. Regardless, either way, none of it was yeah. better than graduation. No. Graduation literally was not only was it different than his first two efforts, but it defined and it brought that whole thing with Chase Whitaker full circle with him telling me he's the future of hip hop. Yeah. It took three albums. When I listened to that, I said Chase was fucking right all along. Now, present day, you all know me. I have a lot of bad words to say about Kanye West, but I will never forget you know, that time period, ever. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on that tangent, but that was important, I had to say that. that was, I'd never forget smoking a blunt, hearing, hearing that, 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 that Good Morning song in the beginning. Yeah, I'll never forget that shit. That's, the samples he used on that album were just mind-boggling. It was so good. So we, good. We were listening to other types of music, too. Done, yeah, exactly. Those days, like, <clears throat> that's when you started introducing me uh, to to bands that I've never heard of and, and just even styles of music like emo and shit. You introduced me to my favorite band of all time, Glastro, because of you. I remember listening to a lot of Envy on the Coast. Ah, oh, say anything. So good, and, dude. Uh, I love yeah. Envy on the Coast. I listened to them last so week. Good. Yeah, they're great. The old shit is incredible. Remember we saw them at um Bamboozled. Yeah, they performed wow. their set. Just the, the 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 two the two singers on the edge of the stage with an acoustic guitar. They sat with their legs hanging off. Do you remember that? Barely, not really. I think him was performing that night too, and that's that's Joe Hop's favorite. Yeah, but yeah, I mean that was a that was a great time period because we not only you know you talk about coinciding music with those with those time periods, and that that's what music is. You always associate music with like what's going on in your life at the time or your feelings, and it's really nice to like go back and reflect. Even even if there were bad times and you were crying while you were listening to it, but it's, just, yeah. it's really all the music is the heart of it all, and that's what brought us, I think, uh, stronger together yeah, as friends. Sure. You I mean, you showed me a lot of hip hop stuff. I wasn't I wasn't aware of a lot of the underground stuff that you introduced me to, and I can't even think of it right now. And even be, beyond the music too, the uh, I was always into graffiti, but I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that yeah. I liked the art of it. But you knew about it and the history of it and what was going on in New Jersey at the time and taught me all about that stuff. Yeah, that I was. I didn't know anything about that. I mean, that's one of the main elements of hip hop. That's definitely. Yeah, we, uh, we always geeked over that shit, even dabbled a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I was always a toy, but. You so know. was I. <laughs> we dabbled, though. We had, we, had, we had some fun. That's another thing, too. I really thought that I was starting to get, I was just starting to get a little good at it where I was like kind of proud of it. And then. I started doing, uh, doing pills. Well, that's the problem. And I stopped is, is, painting. Is the pills not only? That's why to, to anybody listening, even if you're struggling right now, they don't. Do, they, they ruin your fucking life. Anything you want to pursue, um, okay. it doesn't allow you. It holds you back. It's the leash on a pit bull trying to eat that piece of meat dangling above his head. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just constantly holding you back, holding you back, and holding you back. Um, but you and I, like you mentioned before, right after that, we, we decided together after that summer of 2005 that we wanted to go attend school, just like you mentioned, uh, the Institute of Audio Research. Mm -hmm. Boy, was that a, was that a special, um, special place. You started, 
Did you start in 2005 or did you start there in 2006? Because I believe I started in 2005. I thought I did. Yeah, so you've started, I think, in the fall of 2005. Yeah. Because you were still in crutches yep. when you were going, only for the first couple months, and then your crutches were removed. Yeah. And then you finished out your term there. Something happened with me that I didn't, I got delayed somehow. I don't know if I didn't get approved with my, FA, my uh, what do you call it, my student loan or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I started like two months after you, right? Yeah, we weren't in the same class. Yeah, we started later. We both ended up uh, deciding that we uh, wanted to go there together, though. And that was, a, that was another crazy time um, in our life. Uh, that was kind of like when we both really started to gear up with the pills. I mean, we were kind of before that. But yeah. I think like at that point when we both started the school, it started to really... Yeah, after a day of school, being on the... The train coming home, you know, we'd be like, "You want? What do you want to do tonight?" <laughs> but you were taking them before, because I since I started later, you were taking them before I got there with you, no? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't doing them at school or anything like that. I was going to ask like you that if you remember you did them at school or not. Uh, I remember one time I got my hands on a bottle, and uh, I did them at school for a day or two until the bottle was gone. I just did them all day. Jesus Christ! Yeah, you have no, you have no self control. No, I had none. And uh, that's why it was good in the beginning that I had the connections and you didn't. Yeah, because once you got the connections, you fucking went awol. Yep, absolutely, absolutely awol. I remember taking them, leaving school. Yeah, that's we were good with that. We we always had a time. Yeah, we'll do at seven o'clock, and then like yeah, very disciplined. Then nine o'clock. Then ten o'clock. Yeah. But no, 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 the other way around. It kept getting earlier. Well, it started, we started at late. 10. We started at 10. Yeah. And then it was like six eventually. It's weird thinking back on it, um, how quickly that dropped in yeah. time frames. Oh, yeah. We started so late at the time because we would always stay up. We had no jobs or nothing really. So we would sleep late. So we'd stay up mad late. So we started at 10 o'clock, we'll start popping because we'd be out till two, three in the morning. Yeah. And we didn't care, and then it just fucking went. But I mean, that school was a fucking. That school was a gift and a curse. I mean, you know, it was advertised on Hot ninety seven. You know, it's actually defunct. It's no longer there anymore. That school was a shit show. It was. It was there for decades. That was a. Yeah, but it was a fucking shit show. Well, it's Remember, because of who who it attracts. Because they had like I, it's kind of like people went there for the wrong reasons. I think you know they weren't in there for audio engineering. They wanted to be a rapper or producer, and they just went in there. And, and literally, I remember when I first started, I'm like, what the fuck? It was like the most, it was like you just plopped me in Newark, New Jersey at the worst school ever. It was fun, though. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Yeah, it was fun. It was kind of irritating at the same time. Do you remember like standing out, out front, people like freestyling and stuff? Yeah. It's crazy. Dude, I remember in class. So I'll bring up Landless Farm. Remember Landless Farm? Yeah, I haven't heard that in a long time. That's so, the, wasn't that one of the teachers? Yeah, I forget his actual name, but to those listening, uh, there was a teacher at IAR. He was younger. He was the youngest teacher, I think, in the school. He had to have been in his late 20s, right? Yeah, something like that. So he's actually what introduced me to, I don't know how to pronounce the name of this, this group, Autecker or Autocray. Oh my God, I haven't, Remember? I haven't heard that name in a long time. So if you don't know who they are, if I'm pron- pronouncing it correctly... They're kind of like, would you call that noise? The genre of music? It's electronic, but 
they would use this program to make the music called Max MSP. And the only way you could really operate this program is if you're a fucking brilliant mathematician. It's, it's like all right. numbers and, and it's very, very complex, but they would make music that way. And it's not really pleasing music to the ear. It's very bit crunchy and, and the really harmful to your ear. Did we call that trip hop? Was that in that category at all? I don't, no? I don't think so. I don't really remember what they sounded trip like. Trip hop to me is Portishead. That's trip hop. Right. And that was pleasing. Yeah. Autocray was very like... It kind of hurt your ears if you if you had the volume too high. It was very very sensitive to to the eardrums, you know. Certain yeah. certain like tones were like very rough. But he introduced us to that. So he made music kind of like that, and his name was Landless Farm. Yeah, he had the worst time out of any teacher there because he was there to do business. He was there to teach yeah. a class, and you got these hood dudes from like Camden in my class, like going crazy yelling, cutting him off, threatening him. This kid was going to fucking kill himself. Like he couldn't, he didn't know. He kind of was like, what did I get myself into? Yeah. He didn't know what to do. It got to the point where it got so bad where it was kind of like that movie with, uh, what's her name? And that movie with Coolio. What's the name of Dangerous Minds? Oh, why did I say cruel intentions? (laughs) Dangerous Minds. Dangerous Minds. So you know how like she started doing things that would, you know, incorporate the class and make them enthused? Yeah. So he started letting these motherfuckers rap in class. He would have them bring beats in and teach them how to mix it and do all that and add like, you know, so it worked. This didn't happen in my class with him. Oh, it didn't? No, I don't remember. Well, because you were there first, so he probably just figured it out later. Yeah. I'll never forget. You could hear us down the hallway. We had this one kid from Camden. He claimed blood and all this shit. He would wear the fucking red hat, the red sweats and all that. And he was just, I had another kid in that class. What was his name? He used to he used to wear, remember La Tigre? Yeah. Yo, this is a Tigre. I can't do his voice, <laughs> but we used to make fun of him all the time. Uh, he ended up being cousins with Vinny Idol. You know who Vinny Idol is? No. Vinny Idol used to produce a lot of D-block shit. Shout out to Vinny Idol. He's like a pretty famous like producer on that, that grimy New York level. And he used to bring in his hard drive. So I heard beats like of these rappers that were rapping on them before they even came out. So he would play beats and then they'd all rap and then he'd teach us how to, wow. you know. Sometimes you got to improvise, you know, as a, as a teacher. But that's what it was. You know, when you're advertising schools on Hot 97, that's yeah. the majority of what you're going to get. Didn't he make some beats for MF Doom or something like that? It wasn't called MF Doom. Victor Vaughn. Victor Vaughn, yeah. That was because they lived in the same building in Brooklyn, I believe, I where he had album. a studio. Those yeah. beats. Yeah. Those beats are hard too. I forget which made. one he did. I, if I listened to it right now, I would know which one. You'll remember? Yeah. There's two of them. What was your favorite memory of attending that school? Do you have one? Hmm. Whether it was a teacher or just a, an event that occurred or something you learned. Um, it was only 13 months that we went there. But like you said, even though it was, we had a lot of fun, I did. But yeah. I also got irritated easy, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I just I like the commutes the most. I'm just hanging out in New York afterwards. That was probably the best. Going to Hollywood Pizza, hanging out at Union Square. After popping a freshie. Yeah. Throwing a couple back. I love the breaks going to Washington Square Park and Union Square and just hanging out. Yeah, that was the beauty of it. It was it was the school was located. It was on University Place in between literally the two parks. University and Union. Yeah. I was just there the other night driving past it. That uh, driving past Union Square, I was thinking about it. Oh, were you? Yeah, two nights ago. You were just hanging out there. 
I went to see a show at a, I forget what, what venue. But what show was it? A band called Further Seems Forever. Never heard of what kind of music? It's that same genre that. Uh, well, like Thursday and shit? Th- yeah, like early 2000s. Oh, no and, shit. Uh, it was like a 20 year anniversary of an album. Band I always wanted to see. I went by myself. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never gone to a show alone. I've done it a bunch of times. Huh. I do it all the time, actually. It's probably good. I love it because you know you don't really talk to whoever you're with anyway, and you can do what you want when you want. Yeah, it's great. You don't have to get a, get a anybody. Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Be right back, or yeah, you want to leave now? You want to get a drink? You do whatever you want as you want. Yeah. Oh, that's that's, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Whenever I go in that area and I take the path to Ninth, mm-hmm. and I just walk around. It's oh, just it's great. Yeah, it's it, it was a, it was a good time, and I hate the city. I fucking can't stand it, but I love going in the Greenwich Village. Yeah, me too. I don't go there enough. I live right there in Jersey City. I never go. Yeah, you take the path right from Grove, right? That's where yeah. you would take the Grove Street path? Well, the Journal Square is right around Journal the corner. Journal Square, from yeah. Yeah, I miss, I miss going there. Do you have any favorite teachers? I mean, we were just talking about Landless Farm. I feel like his name was Matt, but I could be Let's wrong. talk about the, the guy with the long hair, Mario. Mario. <laughs> that dude had a dark sense of humor. And yeah, speaking of drugs, I don't, I don't know what he was talking about. I can't really remember in reference to what or what the jokes were, but he always said to the class, if you're going to do a drug, do a real drug. Do heroin. <laughs> he used to say it all the time. Grow up, do some Mario heroin. Mario did, for real? No, he always used to say, grow up, do some heroin. Yeah, he was a shot individual. Yeah. He was shot. Him and Gary Fritz. Gary Fritz. Shout out Gary Fritz. What was his name? What did he write? He was a graffiti artist? Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, something... Gary. He's a legend, that guy. I told you I saw him at work, right? Yeah, you told me, yeah. He still looks the same, still playing for, you know, bands at at like at like jazz spots in Montclair and shit. He's still the same guy, man. I know that school's gone now, but you know, he's that dude Bernie. Remember Bernie? Bernie. Bald head? Yeah. Who was the guy with the bald head? Bigger guy. Bigger, crazy looking dude. Oh, with yeah, crazy that guy. hair. And- uh, Genelex. He used to always say Genelex. You know, the, the fucking speaker company? Genelex. Yeah. I remember him saying that word so much. Yeah, he used to do sound systems in like celebrities' houses and stuff. You gotta like get the, the, the Genelex, the Samheises. He was fucking mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. And Gary, Gary Fritz was shot, but the, you're right, that guy Bernie. Then there was a guy with a bald head. You don't remember that guy? I can't picture him. He, 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 he told me a story once about Old Dirty Bastard recording. So, you know, when you use a condenser mic, you're not supposed to touch it. Yeah. He said, like, he, he tried telling it. ODB that, freaking ODB grabbed the condenser. I tell him to stop. He grabbed, he break. I remember now. Remember that guy? Yeah, I remember him. Bro, he always told that ODB story, and that's, like, exactly what <laughs> RIP ODB, but that's exactly what he would do. You know what I mean? It's hilarious. Yeah, he, he, was, he was a fucking wild boy. But after school, we graduated. Not only was our tolerance building, I started to gain even more connections. And this is what I was talking about earlier. I unfortunately met one of the biggest pieces of shit I ever <laughs> met in my life. And he was actually younger than both of us by, by a, a good amount of years. I'm not going to say his name, but... He was a scumbag and, and, you know, he came from a really dysfunctional family and I believe he was selling them for his mom and his grandma, right? Don't you recall? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was selling them for his mom. I knew that. I mean, Dyfus would have had a fucking field day in that house. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a dysfunctional family for sure. Yeah, and he was just he was just a heartless little prick. He was. He was young too. Very young. He was probably 18, 17, I don't even know. He might have been younger than that when we started fucking with him. I don't know. But he was always that kid around, that badass little kid that would like just hang around. And I liked him in the beginning. I even, he was getting his, his shit kicked in one day by this kid named uh, Keith Williams. You remember Keith Williams? He used to be in a band with Max Roush. Yeah. You remember Keith Williams? Keith Williams beat the shit out of him one day. And I really? watched it. I pulled Keith off of him. I think Keith's in a band with Pat right now. I pulled Keith off of him. He's fucking up with it because I, I didn't. I didn't. I liked Keith too, though, so I didn't jump in. I to can't hit even Keith. picture this. Yo, Keith was crazy, so I just I just pulled Keith off him. Like, leave my man alone, and I stopped him from getting his ass kicked in even more. But he got his ass fucked up. Keith's brothers fucked up too. You never met Billy, did you? No. Kid was shot. Kid in middle school kicked my principal in the balls. Holy shit! Kicked him in his dick, bro. The kid was <laughs> bro. Keith's brother. Oh my god. Looney Tune. Looney Tune. His name was Billy. But yeah, Keith was fucking this kid up. And I saw and I stopped him by Anna Capri. Remember Anna Capri in Verona? Yeah. Pizzeria? Yeah. Yeah, you know. But that kid, that jerk off, single-handedly, you know, changed, changed our lives yet again. <laughs> Not only was it changed already because we were popping <laughs> pills, but you know. At this point, we were graduating. You know, our tolerance was fucking rapidly flying. We started taking bananas at this point, which are 10 milligram... Uh, Percocets. For the listeners that don't know bananas, that terminology, I'll try to break it down for you really quick. So we started out taking Percocets. <clears throat> Percocets are comprised of oxycodone, which is the opiate or opiate, whatever you would call it. And the other half is acetaminophen. And they came in like two and a half milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams. And that was kind of like where the perks kind of stopped. Um, we started with the fives, then we went to the tens, which we called bananas because they were yellow in color. So that's the only reason why we called them bananas. Um, but now that I mentioned that, this kid comes into play because he's the reason why we got introduced to Oxycontins, which you also brought up before when we morphed from our pill addiction to Oxys. See, I wouldn't even remember that he was the one that introduced us to that. Oh, you don't remember that? I guess now that you say it, it rings a bell, like maybe he had him. Like you know we, how he we did couldn't it? find Percocets. There was a specific way he did it. He how was he smart. It? We used to buy a bunch of tens off of him. So at this time, when we met him, what we were probably at least doing five or six ten milligram perks, no? Yeah. Or four minutes. Let's say four. Let's just cut it at four. All right. Our tolerance definitely grew from five milligrams to forty. So yeah. since we were buying tens off him, we would need four of them each. So we were buying multiples in a bag. He would throw one 80 milligram in the bag. You don't remember that? I, now I do. He would throw one in the bag. And we'd, I'd open the bag as a gift, if you will. Because you know what the fuck he was doing. I bet you his mom was wow. coaxing through this whole thing. Yeah. Because yeah. they're more expensive and, and you can get more for your money. So he, well, I said, what is this? I remember calling him that day. Like, what is this green pill in here? He's like, oh, that's an oxy. He's like, it's kind of it's like taking eight of those tens right there in one pill. So we're like, really? We didn't do anything. So now, as I'm talking about Percocets, then there's Oxycontins, which is almost the same as Percocets. The only difference is there's no acetaminophen in it, and it's timed release, which is called oxycodone hydrochloride. So I, I'm assuming the hydrochloride is the time release. I mean, I really don't know. But it has a green coating on it, and that's what... That's what um, makes it the time release. So in theory, if you cut an 80 milligram up, 
in four ways. It's two pills each quarter. Yeah. And that's how two we tens. Each, two tens, yeah, in each quarter. So at the time, we probably needed a half each. Yeah. I would think. I think when I started doing those, I only needed... A quarter? Maybe a quarter. So maybe we were doing only yeah, two at I the time. I just remembered now. That okay, so then we probably were only doing, doing two at the time. That was when we bought pill cutters from CVS <laughs> with the rubber backing on the bottom so the pill wouldn't move and you could slice it with the razor blade. Yeah. This is sick thinking about this shit. Wow. The shit that we used to do. But that's how it started, man. He got smart and he wanted, he wanted us to graduate. You know, in a, in a bad way. And it fucking worked. Yeah, it worked. I wonder how long that really was that we were going to this guy. It's tough for me with timelines. It feels like eternity, but it was probably a year or two. I was involved in it for four years straight. So, yeah, maybe a year by the time we, we started messing with him. But we probably dealt with him at minimum two, three years. Really? It had to, at least two. It had to be. I mean, he knew, he knew once we got into those, we wouldn't even want the other ones. And then well, the worst part of what he did was he, would, he, would, he knew that on purpose, knew that he could make more money off those. So he kept saying, I don't have the other ones anymore. This is all I got. Yeah. You know, he was, a, he was a jerk off and we knew what he was doing, but we were at his mercy. A kid that's younger than us. Yeah. We were at his mercy because once you get that deep in these things, you're fucked. And he and he knew. I hated know. that kid. I still do. He tried to add me on Facebook, and it's still pending. I'm never going to accept that. He could suck my dick. <laughs> I'd love to shatter his beak. I'd love to. He's a little fucking scumbag. Fuck him. His sister is friends with me on Facebook. Yeah. But that's it. I I will never. I'm not going to mention his name. I don't even want to give him the clout like that. But he added me as a friend. Never. I would. I would never. I think I'm friends with him. Yeah, because you're a nice guy. He, uh, you're a fucking he, he nice guy. He doesn't look like he's doing too well. No, he thinks he's a fucking priest now. Typical, right? Of the type. Get yeah. clean, all of a sudden you love God all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, but he did. I don't think, I don't know if he's clean. Of course, well, he's I a jerk I mean, off. I don't know what's going on, but. Well, he comes from a fucked up family. His dad's shot. I think his mom had him selling him so she could buy dope. That, that's what I heard. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't even know that part of the situation. Because she was friends with uh, Larry. Yes, Lion Paw. And that's why he was selling him. Yeah. And I think that she was doing the same thing. Makes sense now. But I don't know. I'm not really sure. Nah, you, 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 could, you could be right. But those... That was like what really ruined us because we were yeah. getting him for a good price dealing with him. But it was very stressful because he was playing with us a lot. Tell us he had it. We'd go up there. He wouldn't have it. He'd make us wait like an hour for no yeah. reason. Dude, I told We'd you. We'd be on our way home and he'd be like, where are you? Yeah. After we were already up there for 20, 30 minutes banging. on. I remember that one day I was <laughs> fucking banging on his fucking door. I never forget. I was banging and he was nowhere to be found. He probably was inside, <laughs> he like was laughing. Right there, yeah, yeah, he was inside he laughing. That it. little motherfucker. He loved it. I, I hated that motherfucker. I absolutely <laughs> hated that piece of shit. I wasn't proud of him, man. You know, but but he, we, you know, we were we were stuck. We were stuck with him at the time. And uh, you know, there's a couple stories from that time period also that um really showcased our addiction. That it reached a new height. And that it was very sickening. I know what you're talking about. And I, got, I gotta bring it up. 
so I, I gotta bring it up. Do you, do you want to tell it? Or do you want me to tell it? The infamous Dunkin' Donuts puddle story. I mean, this is when like I realized we're reaching an ultimate low. <laughs> I'll tell a, a, another story to even not even even it out, but just so you're not hanged out to dry too hard. But do you want to say it on me? <laughs> I want to hear you tell it, and I want to chime in. I want to hear your perception. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, here it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a sick, sick fucking story. But after witnessing him, it made me realize we both reached an all-time low. And we have a fucking serious problem, Houston. So we're at Dunkin' Donuts, where I mentioned before we always hang out at. We always, that was our stopping grounds. That's where we did our drugs in the bathroom, all that. So <clears throat> I don't remember every minute detail, but I do remember this. We pull up there. At the time, we were still, uh, I don't know if we were still doing oxys then or if we were still doing Percocets. However, if we were in the oxy stage and we couldn't get oxys and all we could get was perks, not only was our tolerance now higher because we probably graduated to doing full 80 milligram oxycontins, rather, which equate to eight 10 milligram bananas, but we have to take eight pills, that means, which also means it's a lot more pills in your fucking mouth. So the worst part is if you wanted to hit you quicker, you had to chew the pills, which is me even saying chew ruins my taste. Like I, my memory of chewing those nasty, fu- picture chewing, oh, <laughs> that's giving me flash. Imagine <laughs> chewing Tylenols, cause that's like what it is. There's Tylenol in it. So imagine, especially the bigger bananas. So most most bananas had 10 milligrams of, of um, oxycodone and 325 milligrams of acetaminophen, right? But there were these super bananas. They were 10 milligrams oxycodone, 650, and they were like triple in size. Chewing these fucking things was absolutely atrocious. And we would chew them if we couldn't get the oxys. So we pull up to Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. He pulls in a spot. And I take mine, I start chewing or whatever. I don't know if G is chewing them or if he's just has them on his lap. All right. And something. Let me take over right All here right, for a take minute. Take over then. Because I, I kind of vaguely remember, I know what happened, but I don't remember what caused it to happen. So I think the reason I didn't take it right away was part of my routine was I wanted to take it with coffee, hot coffee. Ah, that's it. To make and, it melt um, faster. Something like that, even though I chewed him up anyway. And the caffeine jolt. Yeah. So I, I got out of the car. I walked into Dunk and uh, I ordered my coffee or whatever. And I reach into my pocket to take them and they're gone. I don't have them. I have no idea where they are. Oh, yeah. I was sitting passenger seat. I was, I was in, in a car. I was in a panic. Oh, man. I, I go outside, it's pouring rain. And outside of the driver's side, on the ground, driver's side of my car, is six yellow puddles. <laughs> you got to remember the whole time. <laughs> They're not normal puddles. This is a parking lot where cars would drive in and out of. So cars <laughs> leak oil. These aren't normal. These are rainbow puddles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah amongst the rainbow puddles, six yellow Percocet puddles. Throw up. I'm going to throw up. There was, I was not willing to accept that loss. So I ran inside and I grabbed a straw and I came out and I slurped him up off the ground. Oh my God. Ah, with the fucking, you had to see it. He's on his and, fucking hands and knees. 
Literally. I didn't even, at the time, I really didn't think it was that crazy. I'm like, that's $60 right there. Well, when you're knee deep in this shit, you don't realize what's ridiculous or not. But that kind of made me feel a certain way. I'm not going to lie. Watching you do that, I kind of felt crazy inside. It worked. Of course it did. You were fucking (laughs) shot. But I felt weird. Watching you do that made me feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I bet. But it's not the, like, I've done some crazy shit. Like, I'll I'll give my story just so I don't leave you out to try. Um, I used to go tanning a lot. Uh, We all did. Because the pills would make us, like, rather pale. (laughs) Because we were drug addicts. So we would go tanning and stuff to, like, you know, compensate for the the color loss. (laughs) So I remember I went one day. I wasn't with you, though. I think I was with Al Booth. I was with Al Booth and uh, maybe Kevin Tarantino. I don't know. When I was running with them cats every once in a blue moon. And uh, we went there and, you know, I guess you could say I have a little level of OCD. I'm definitely routine-based across the board. Um, So I remember I had the pills out. And one way that I used to take the pills was... It, was, it, was, it wasn't a real parachute because a, a real way to parachute is you would basically, if, especially if it was an oxy, the, the time release coating is on the outside so you would scrape it off with your finger. The OGs would peel off like butter. The yeah. real authentic oxycontins would peel off with your fingernail. The other brands, you might have to wet them first. The generic ones, they weren't as good. But anyway, you would uh, remove the time release and you would crush it up in like a dollar bill, pour the powder in a, right? They would put it in like a tissue yeah. And then you would swallow the tissue paper. I wouldn't swallow any paper. I would just crush it up in a dollar bill and throw the powder in. So my routine was I would go tanning. I would leave the, the dollar bill out or 20, whatever, with the powder sitting in it. I would go oh. tanning. And when I come out, I'd parachute it before I get ready. I knock into the dollar bill when I come out of the tanning bed and knock the powder on the floor. A floor that's filled with carpet, dirt, hair. Yes, it was carpet hair, tanning lotion. So I did kind of a desperation situation that you did. I started licking the carpets. <laughs> and my mouth goes numb from the tanning lotion. Really? That was, yeah, my mouth went numb. My, I couldn't feel my tongue. This always makes me laugh. This story. Because just knowing you, you would never do something like that. You're very clean. Never. You know, it would be licking the carpet at a tanning salon. That's the problem with these drugs, though. This is the one drug I can say turns you into somebody you actually are not, literally, because you're so desperate yeah. for the drug that, that you would, you would uh, stoop, stoop to that level. But that's, uh, I had to bring that up because that was the part where I personally realized, like, you know, it was one of many times when I realized we had a problem, but that was like kind of like the, the beginning of when I realized, damn, bro, we're kind of, I'm not willing to get out of it. <laughs> No, but you know, then we start. You know, you start chasing the high, and then your tolerance starts to climb, and that's when it becomes very dangerous and very expensive. Yeah, and I remember those days just hanging out at Dunkin' Donuts with you all the fucking time. Like I said yeah. before, like um, my favorite horror, one of my favorite horror movie franchises of all time is a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, and in those movies he always says every town has an Elm Street. It's kind of like. Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Except there's more of them. <laughs> Every town has like multiple. Yeah. And that's like we mentioned earlier, that was like our stomping grounds. Those those bathrooms were held hostage by us every single fucking day. I think they hated us too because we'd go there buy a coffee and stay all night long. But they couldn't kick us out because we paid. Yeah. We bought something and we knew that. We weren't, we weren't fucking stupid. Yeah. But, but like you mentioned before, we had rules to like our, uh, 
it started at 10 o'clock, like you said, and it kept dropping and yeah. dropping. Eventually, eventually for me, I had no rules left at all. <laughs> at what whatsoever. point, though? How many years in do you think when your rules just went out the window? Uh, it's hard for, to think about years. I think 2009, 10. I th- yeah, around yeah, two thousand. I don't know, eight, nine. I don't even know what years. There was a time where um, it just got so crazy for me, where it was all day long. It never ended, and yeah. because I was, uh, let's just say, I had endless supplies in a way. I just I never stopped. So the I was just taking them all day long, along with. Uh, other things too, you know. Yeah, I was doing. Uh, that was about 2009 when you really, yeah, yeah. It was just, was... Uh, yeah. All day I was taking those things. As soon as I woke up, I would I would do one with a Xanax, and uh, and then I'd do another one a couple hours later, another one a couple hours later. I was doing like eight a day. Jesus fucking Christ. something like that. But there were no rules. It was just it was just up against the clock. If I could make enough money. To, I don't know, just to just to keep going throughout the day. It wasn't really counting, you know. It was That's just, what it uh, is when you when you're a drug addict. You just wake up and the only thing on your mind is the drug, yeah. how you're going to obtain it, and trying to set yourself up for the next day. And that's what every routine is. So like that time when we <clears throat> we just mentioned rather the, the the time when he did that crazy thing, slurping the puddle. I can't believe he did that, bro. <laughs> I never forget watching that shit. Seeing that yellow just disintegrate and create a swirl in that oil puddle. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was wild. But around that time period, that's when we started to get bad. We got worse. But at that point, I remember there was still a good amount of time where we were able to, we still had some sort of guidelines and we were able to still, you know, have fun. We were still able to hang around with girls at the time. And anybody that knows when you're a, when you're a real drug addict, unless you have a girlfriend that's into the drug addicts, the drugs with you, and she's also an addict, your care for the opposite sex or just or just a sexual interest in general just kind of goes away, <laughs> and your yeah. main focus is the drugs. At this time, we were still managing to hang out with girls. We were chilling. You were yeah. messing with a couple girls. I was messing with a couple girls. Yeah. Well, I had a during this time. It was a. At one point, for a big chunk of that, I had one girlfriend. Yeah, who wasn't a drug addict, by the way. Yeah, there was. Um, yeah, there was one in the beginning for, for a brief a amount few of time, months or an whatever. exciting brief moment. And then, uh, and then I got into another relationship, and that one, it was just her f- throughout the worst of it. Yeah, that was a, that was and, a long one. Uh, yeah, she didn't use um, other things, <laughs> but uh, and you know what? It did influence me. Actually, yeah, you know what? I know what you're talking about. So this was longer in, than it seems in my head because there was a... The timelines are tough because we were so knee-deep in it. It's yeah. hard to really know that, like when exact things occurred. Right, yeah. But anyway, she uh, it didn't have too much influence on me because I was so off the rails, but she definitely, she might have helped keep me alive in a way. Really? Yeah, because... I did at times still feel like I needed to slightly hide it. I don't know. I can't really explain. It, it helped a little bit. 
If I had absolutely no one, then you would have really went off been, the rails. Yeah, and I always had someone. You always would, did, and because uh, yeah, throughout this, I can think of three relationships I had, and each one of them. I can think of two. I can't think of the third. Oh yes, the first, the one, very right? one. Wow, the first one, and that one, the Holy Trinity, first one. Yeah, she was very. She got wind of me experimenting with the the pills a oh little bit. Oh my god, I forgot about her. And uh, she did not like it at all. And she was straight straight edge, very religious, straight edge. Yeah. And so at that time, she totally kept me straight. I remember for sure. that. I remember that. Holy shit! It's yeah. been so many years, man. Actually, when we broke up, I can really pinpoint like it's it's a little blurred, but I feel like I went off off to the races a little bit. Maybe not even with the pills necessarily, but just like just everything. drinking and stuff. Just life like, in yeah. general. Yeah, because you had no I restriction. Was, I was ready. Like I wanted it. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was. I was. <laughs> you were really salivating, craving. You yeah. were salivating for a while. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, I don't... With that last relationship, yeah, that was... She was around through the worst of it, for sure. She's, yeah. I, I can't even imagine what her, uh, what her side would be of what I she know. witnessed. I don't uh, even know where she is. But, yeah. But yeah, we all... I mean, since you were in a relationship... I wasn't in a relationship. I was messing around with, like, different women, but we still managed to, like... I still had that enthusiasm to go find a girl, mess around, do all that stuff. And one thing about painkillers, I don't want, I don't want to get graphic, but you might hear the, the hood term perk dick. When you're high on these Percocets, it's very hard for the male. I can't speak for the woman because I'm not a woman and I've never experienced being a woman, obviously. But so I wouldn't, I can't speak for them, but I know for a guy, like I said, I don't want to get graphic, but when a guy's on a perk, it's very hard for him to orgasm. However, he could still remain aroused, if you will, if I'm saying that without being too. So they call that in the hood perk dick. <laughs> I don't know if I ever heard that. Perk you never heard dick. that? Yeah, they call it hit him with that perk dick. That's, <laughs> that's pretty graphic, but yeah, so that's what, that's what would happen. So at that time, like, I remember we were still enthusiastic about meeting women, doing all that stuff. You were already in relationships, as you tend to often do. You dive into relationships, and they're very long ones. Um, but you know, we still had fun around that time period. I was still enthusiastic about meeting women. Now, speaking of having fun, I'm going to play you something. Oh, my God. I'm going to play you something oh, that reminds no. me of this time period. Oh, no. Um, it reminds me of... The peak of us having fun before it started to, what we're about to talk about after, when it started to really, like I said, when we started to, I started to not care about women anymore, the whole nine. This is. I'm scared. This is I the, be, this is the beginning. I can't believe you're playing this. Right I now. had to, man. Just don't, just don't talk about what it's called. I don't want to get looked up. I okay, can hear it. It's almost done. I want to hear Steve Zip in the background. Who needs friends? 
This is Smash. It really feels good like, well, in my brain. Was that you laughing? Yeah, it's you. Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen. That was a freestyle. That was the last time I remember this, this <laughs> drug addiction actually being fun. Thanks. Shout out to Corey Donahue. I asked him for this earlier in the week. And uh, I got the video. I didn't know that he had it like on YouTube. Yeah. And then I, I ripped the audio from it. Nice. That was a song. Shout out to Corey Donahue. He used to live with his parents in uh, Cedar Grove. And he had a very interesting property. You know, people talk about my house and the setup of it being very interesting. But I always remember Corey's house, the setup of it being very unique. Yeah. And definitely. at one point, somebody used to live in that room in that. Is that even a basement? Yeah, it was, it was a kind of family friend. And then he didn't live there anymore, and then Corey ended up moving down there. But we used to hang out there and congregate there a lot. It was the best spot. And G plays guitar. He plays drums. He's a pretty talented dude musically. And uh, he made up that song one night, and my friend Corey busted out his phone. It was Corey, right, that recorded that? Yeah. And he recorded. That's an audio recording of G on cell phone footage (laughs) uh, playing this song that he wrote on the spot, freestyle, called Heroin. And this is actually before he even did heroin, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But Percocets basically is heroin. I always made a joke about that. Like always, even before Percocets. I'd really? be uh, leaving the house as a teenager. My mom would say, where are you going? I'd say, I'm going to shoot some heroin. <laughs> I don't know why. But That shit is classic. That's, I still that's make such jokes a catchy about it. tune, too. I, we, need to, we need to write more lyrics to it and make it an release actual it. song and release it. All right. I think we need to. That song's fantastic, dude. <laughs> that was a hit amongst us for a was, while. Was that the first time you listened to it? In, in all, years? In years, yeah. yeah. I asked him, I said, yo, send me the, do you have footage of G singing the heroin song? Because I knew I was yeah. going to do this podcast with you. Yeah. And he just sent me the YouTube link. I didn't even know it was on YouTube. I was like, oh, this is fucking, I wonder how many views it's got. This is fucking perfect. I don't know, but it, it was a hit amongst us. And um, after we both graduated IAR, Usually when you go to these audio schools, the next step is to intern to work for free. I unfortunately didn't have that luxury to do it. I mean, I wasn't even really enthusiastic about working for free, but I couldn't do it. My mom was sick at the time, so it was tough. I had to work to make money. I couldn't do it. G, on the other hand, did. And G got an internship at a studio in Jersey City called Big Blue Meaning. And this is another important part of, of, your, of your journey and, and one that I'd love to really really touch on. Could you walk me through that whole experience and, and what it was like for you experiencing real studio life for the first time? And how did you balance studio life, interning, and doing drugs at the same time? Yeah, so when, uh, when I got the internship, I, I, th- I don't think I was a full-blown addict at the time. So I, we were, I guess this was a slow progression, really. I mean, some people start, and then six months later, they're you know, homeless on the streets. But It was slow, yeah. Yeah. We kind of kept it together for a while. For a so, while, disciplined drug addicts. It was 2006, and I went there for my interview, and uh, I met Tim Gillis, the owner of the studio. And uh, Big Blue Meanies, I don't know how long they were around, since the 90s, but... Thursday, baby. A lot of like the studio was known for a lot of just like you know punk hardcore emo metal uh, bands and legendary albums you know yeah yeah Taking Back Sunday Tell All Your Friends Thursday Full Collapse We're All the Time 
Oh, yeah. Like a ton of hardcore bands, like Agnostic Front, Madball, uh, Marauder, War All the Time. And not War All the Time, that's the, the album, uh, All Out War. And, um, and before it was Big Blue Meanie, it was Quantum Sound. And uh, oh, okay. Madonna recorded her first Same album. Same owner there. or no? No. Oh, okay. It was this dude, I think his name was Reggie Lucas, and he produced that whole first Madonna album with ton of hits on it, ton of hits on that album. Oh, wow. And, um, but yeah, Tim bought it. And uh, so, yeah, I was an intern, uh, didn't get paid anything. And basically, it was long hours. I would go there and uh, just hang out all night, be put on all kinds of uh, little duties around yeah. the studio, uh, like literally cleaning. I, I would clean, I would uh, wash dishes, I would go food shopping, I would, uh, I'd also sit in on sessions, you know, that's what you would do. You'd do your little chores as an intern, take out the garbage, they had dogs, take out the dogs, and uh, make coffee. And uh, Bench work, yeah. what they make you do usually. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was so exciting just to be there because it was, some of, my, some of my favorite albums of all time came out of this studio. So yeah. it felt, felt cool hanging out there. Wasn't you know? Full Collapse recorded there by Thursday? Yeah. That's one of your favorite albums, isn't it? For sure, of that time, yeah. And um, yeah, just hanging around there, just uh, sitting in on sessions. And um, yeah, really what happened was it was pretty short-lived. I guess it was on and off for a year or two. And um, my progression from the addiction was happening at the same time again still but it was happening quick. So I, I didn't have enough uh, motivation to actually go anywhere with it. Yeah. And um, I, was, I was happy and excited to be there, but what would happen is I would start uh, leaving early, calling out, yeah. no showing, and, uh, and I'd disappear for months at a time. And then they'd let me come back. Yeah. Because they liked it was, you a lot. It was free. What they call you? What was the name they called you? Fee. 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 Yeah. And uh, so I used to hang out there a couple times with you. Yeah, I had good times there. Yeah, I had nine eleven. Uh, yeah. Shout out Gerard. What they called Gerard? My boy, who I ended up Mr. working Clean. with now, Mister Clean. Shout yeah. out Mister Clean. Yeah, he was. Uh, from what I heard, he was. He kept the place spotless. So oh, that's why that they right? called him Mister Clean. <laughs> yeah. But um. So yeah. It was it was pretty cool to hang around, but I remember like I was hanging around for a while. And it was a long time there. Finally, you know, this is a perfect example of what the decline was. I think they gave me. He asked if I can do. Uh, he put me on some kind of project. I was hanging around all day, and then the project was going to start at like nine or ten p.m. Okay, but damn, I needed to get high at that time. So the first opportunity he gave me to do something, I said, I can't, I got to go. Uh, and I left because I needed to go get pills or whatever. That's all that's on your mind. Yeah. So, and he was pissed. And uh, Of course he was. That was the last, the last time he gave me uh, any type of like real job or opportunity there. Damn. And um, I tried, I remember disappearing and trying to go back. And he said to me, he goes, I'm not going to waste one more second trying to teach you the craft. Wow. Said, you're you're flaky. Oh man. And I was like insulted. Like, what do you mean I'm flaky? You just never gave me you never gave me the chance. You know, I was like, I really in my mind couldn't see it at the time. Yeah, yeah. But um it was cool though. I mean, even while I was there, I I made some good friends, I had good times, I, good experiences. I did sit in on some good 
sessions. I even assisted on some. I got a couple credits. Um, I did. Um, I saw a lot of bands there, a lot of bands that I knew of or liked. You know, so yeah, it, was, yeah. it was really cool. Yeah, Thursday recorded there once, and I got to help on that session. That's dope. And um, the side project, uh, United Nations. Oh, nice. Which I remember Daryl Palumbo was supposed to be on that, but I don't know if he ever Darryl actually Palumbo's was. Daryl Palumbo's the goat. He might have no. been. I don't know. I don't think so. Remember, I, I remember talking to you about it. Like, yeah. you were asking, is he there? You know? I love Daryl. Daryl's the, the god. But I, yeah. <clears throat> I remember you recorded one of our good friends' uh, first demos there, Chris Lynch. Chris. Which you co wrote. Yeah. And the song's called Seven Days, I believe. Yeah. Which, in my opinion, Chris has recorded a lot of music since then. And that still will be my favorite Chris Lynch song. That's his hit. Dude, because he wrote it, literally, it was written seven days after he broke up with his ex-girlfriend at the time. And it just, you played the guitar, you co-produced it. It was great. Yeah. That, to me, my favorite song. Still, I love that song. Still the best. And that was recorded at Big Blue Meanie, you know? With yeah. 9-11. Yeah. Shout out 9-11. Jeffrey. Every couple of years, I ask Chris, uh, where can I hear this song? I think I have it if you want. He'll send me the link or whatever. I have a CD somewhere. Oh, you do? But yeah, I got to hear it again one day. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it was a crazy time. So eventually that ended and I stopped working there. And I tried to get another internship in another studio, which I did, called The Cutting Room in Manhattan. Later on. That was short lived. Very short. And that was like a big time studio, you know, like pop artists. The drugs won't let you. Oh, no. The drugs will, will not let you do anything. (laughs) <laughs> no, that was during the worst time ever. I was trying to pull that off. I don't know what I was thinking. But yeah, so whatever. I never ended up doing anything in audio engineering. But he did more than I, I did, when I, my man. When I, got, uh, when I got sober, a year later, I went back to Big Blue Meanie as a, as a client, which is really what I always wanted. Oh, when you formed 96. Yeah, so when I went... <clears throat> We recorded an album there, and That's right. I felt like I redeemed myself. Before they shut down, because they're gone now. They're right? gone now, yeah. And Tim passed last year, the owner. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, uh, he was living in Australia. He went out there and retired. Yeah, because I know they, that's where yeah. he was from. That's where his wife was from. Down under. Oh, his wife was from there. Okay. Yeah. But um, what was I saying? No, nah, we were just talking about the stew. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those times... Uh, when you were working there, that was when, like, of course, yours too, because studio time, like, it goes it goes super late. Yeah. Our night lives in general. Yeah. We were staying out later and later, sleeping in. I remember sleeping in, dude, like, waking up at, like, between 1 and 3 p.m. Oh, yeah. Every day. And what's funny about the pills is it took, at least for me, from my perspective, it took forever for me to actually fall asleep, but I would just lay there for hours in pure bliss with my eyes closed. Yeah. Could you relate? Yeah. It's the weirdest feeling. Like I, to actually physically fall asleep, real deep REM shit, it took forever. It felt like it took two hours every night, but you just lay there in thoughts and in pure bliss. But yeah. then when you actually fell asleep, you were fucking gone. Yeah. Until like three o'clock the next well, day. I had a very hard time sleeping. That's why I added other things to the mix. Yeah. Xanax and oof, and the itching, the itching, laying in bed, the itching, yeah, was the fucking worst thing probably uh, <laughs> yeah. about the pills. I never forget like the fucking itching, yeah. But it ends up being you know, you wake up every day and you're fucking. It's all you're thinking about. You just want the pills. Nothing else matters. And that's when, like I was saying before, that point after when he made that song, 
you know, the fun started to go away after that time period. And that's when everything started to decline. I didn't care about women anymore. I mean, you were already in a relationship, so you kind of like were just already married to but, that idea. But I was non-existent in it at that yeah. point too. Totally non-existent because for the same reason. To, you know, yeah, just, not intimate. You're just fucking there. It's yeah. like a chore. It almost turns out to be like a, like a fucking chore. I started selling pot at that point because mm-hmm. we're getting so deep in that shit where we're spending so much money on it. Where at the, in the beginning, since I had the connections before you did, I would sell them amongst our friends and just basically eat for free. Then your tolerance grows, can't eat for free anymore because your fucking levels are so high. Yeah. Spending so much money on them. So I started selling pot and then I started smoking pot <laughs> at the same time. And then I, was, I used to hate pot because it would make me super paranoid. But when I mixed the two, for some reason I was able to I was able to have them and they were easily tolerable together and then I could almost smoke more and vice versa. It was like weird. I was able to like yeah. mix it two and be fine. And then around that time, a special moment happened in our lives. At least to me. I, I remember this time. It's another moment that I, that I enjoy to this day thinking about and I actually spoke to one of the parties last week was JP and Donna's house. Mm-hmm. That was a, a legendary spot up on that hill. Yeah, it was legendary. Great. Do you remember when their parents went away to Peru for that short period of time? Yeah. yeah. They fucking threw parties every fucking day. I think even the banner performed in their driveway. <laughs> yeah, I think and you're if right. you know about the scene, the banner is pretty famous. They performed in their fucking driveway. That's crazy. I wasn't there for that, but I, that I was think I heard legendary. About it. Yeah. They had a weird driveway that climbed up the hill. Wasn't Joel living there at the time? Sort Yo, of. that was, dude, the weirdest shit happened in that house. Yeah. They had their own bar downstairs, remember? We used to watch horror movies. Mark Arducci, I remember specifically, during that, the week. That week. I, I think was, it was uh, two weeks, right? Yeah, I don't that know. That was a while. I know two weeks. that week or so, I was doing ecstasy. Were you? Yeah. I don't even remember that. Yeah, I was. I've never done a... Yeah, just during that that I was those, pretty strict. That party I did. or so, the the week of parties. That was two. a wild time period, bro. People were sleeping there. Yeah, that shit was. Shout out to JP and Donna. That was, bro. That time period was crazy, bro. Yeah, yeah I was getting high, smoking. There's that famous picture of us by the steps. I don't know if you were in that picture. I think it was me, Corey, Rob, and I'm doing this. I doing don't like a picture. weird face. I definitely don't. Yeah, that shit was. Um, that shit was a was a bad bad uh, a bad time period, as well as it was a good time. Also, another funny thing is, we used to work out while doing pills still for a short period of time. I didn't know what I was doing, but I tried. <laughs> Actually, that's a weird weird topic. But go ahead. Remember that? Yeah, groceries. In the beginning, groceries. I was gonna ask you. You remember groceries, Jim? Of course. Groceries, Jim. To to the listeners, you're not gonna understand unless you were in the area. So. My dad linked me with this gym when I turned 18. I was generally a chubby kid growing up. So when I turned 18, I said I wanted to go work out. So my dad taught me a little bit, taught me the basics. And he was working out at this gym called Grossy's Gym. So it was basically a shit house in Patterson. It was like a small one floor house in Patterson that a retired cop named Joe Grossy, hence why it's called Joe Grossy's Gym rather, he... Took this house, gutted it out, put the most old school, gr- grimy, <laughs> hard metal, hardcore gym 
inside with like handmade machines that were like built into the fucking wall. Do you remember that? Yeah. They had that calf raise machine built into the wall. So he built this weird hardcore metal gym and he, he was a retired cop. So mostly you either had to be a cop, you had to be a retired cop or know or be friends of one of those, those type of uh, guys. And when you had a membership, you would get your own key. You could go in 24-7. And there was one specific pay locker, he called it. You would write your name on the envelope, throw cash in the envelope, which is like 25 bucks a month, and throw it in this locker, which most people didn't do it. There was a lot of junkies that ended up working out there. Yeah. And they would never pay. But I remember going there, and then you started coming there with me. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, this place was like... Grimy as grimy. It was a Guido gym. Oh, yeah. It was just you walk in... Like Al said, like 1970s workout equipment, huge Italian flag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a old 90s stereo. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had the, in the kitchen, there was the, what, punching Oh, that's bag. where I filmed oh, those yeah, you uh, got, YouTube you videos. videos Grossy's Finest. Treadmill. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a great place. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what I was doing there, though. Like, I don't even recall asking you or anything. I don't remember shit. Now man. that I slightly know what I'm doing working out um, I know that I was doing it all wrong when I went there well we were but, kids man yeah plus we were drug addicts yeah but here's the crazy thing I don't know if you remember this um, well, I would a couple of our friends used to use uh, steroids yeah and whenever I, I dropped so much weight doing these pills I was like 120 yeah. pounds around so when I would try to get clean I would buy steroids. And then like day really? day one of like, you know, we'd say we were quitting, I'd take like D ball and Get go to the, the gym with you. Out of here. Really? Yeah. yeah. I never do that. I, I might have been <laughs> keeping it a secret. I don't know. You definitely but did. The thing I never was did is I never stayed clean for more than two or three days, so it didn't do anything. Yeah. But there was one time we were going to groceries and it was just less than a week. I remember just laying in bed. And just looking down and just seeing my pecs. And I was like, holy shit. And it was just a few days of taking this stuff and not knowing what I'm doing at the gym. Yeah, yeah. But it worked. I didn't know that you took that shit. Yeah, I always had something. Joe Hop used to go there. Oh, yeah. He loved that place. It was ideal for him because he doesn't like being in like those overpopulated places. Yeah. So like groceries was like his bread and butter. Yeah. I miss that place. I still have a vintage groceries gym shirt. I would. Oh, wow. It's got Wiley Coyote with muscles. I wish I could go to groceries right now. It's like a church now. Weird. Somebody bought it, ended up being like some Hispanic like nonprofit church. And then I think they knocked it down. I don't know. I haven't I haven't been there in a long time. I remember going there though and timing the pills. Like I used to this is how fucking retarded was. I used to go there, we used to work out. Ten minutes before I knew I had like a couple more sets left, we'd go in the bathroom, pop the pill. By the time we were done working out, it would hit us as we leave. Timing. I remember timing yeah. taking these pills. That's how sick we got. Yeah. We were timing our drug taking. Yeah, it was sick. Um, when did it end for the, you? The grossies? No, the pills. What year? Yeah, that happened, that happened later on. When I was going to grossies, I think at the time, yeah, I still was working at Packers. I worked at Packers for like four years. So I, I, I worked at Packers, yeah, right before, no, I, I worked at a Packers probably right out of high school, and then right after, um, not high school, right after, uh, what was that uh, school we were just talking about, IAR. 
Yeah. Right after IAR, I worked at Packer Shoes and I worked there for like three, four years for a while, even into my uh, getting clean. So I worked there while I was an addict and even when I got clean. Um, but I want to touch on something that you brought up earlier because right around this time when we were going to groceries is, is when I was, um, <clears throat> I, I had connections, but that was the kid we were mentioning before. This is like a, a big thing that I wanted to cover. The kid that we were both saying is the biggest piece of shit. You brought up Lion Paw. Yeah. The reason why we call this guy Lion Paw is because this fucking conniving, manipulative little piece of shit kid named him that because he didn't want to tell us his real name. Not that I could find somebody off a first name anyway, but to this kid, it was important to not say his name. So his mom, we ended up finding out that his mom was close with this guy. His real name is Larry. I don't even know to this day his last name. doesn't even matter. But his name was Larry. And I've actually seen him driving recently. I know what house he's living at in Cedar Grove. It's not the same one. I don't remember where he was living before. I'm Bowden. What's yeah. Bowden? By the kind of by the high school and Little Falls Road and Yeah, also yeah. that's Bowden. Yeah, so I guess he's still there. Kind yeah. of by where CJ Kranansky used to live. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's the same house then. I saw him outside of it recently. I didn't know he used to live there. Yeah. I never went to his crib. I would always pick him up. But we ended up getting the Connects Connect in a sense. I met him first, kept him under my wing, and then G ended up getting the connection with him later, and that's when you really spiraled out. Because mm -hmm. with me having the connection, even though I was an addict, compared to everybody you and I knew, I was probably the most disciplined. I did it every day, but I, I maintained some form of rules, a rule set yeah. that most people completely abandoned, like yourself. Mm -hmm. So I guess with me kind of semi-controlling it, you can't really go out of control, but you can. Once I stopped talking to him, you took over, it went fucking real crazy. But this guy had the best prices. And I think he was the one supplying this kid that we were fucking with's mom, or at least the majority of it. Yeah, I don't know. But, but I mean, I had a situation with him too. The one situation is what made me realize how bad of a heroin addict he was. We were at Dunkin' Donuts with him one day, and we were about to go get pills, so I had to pick him up and bring him there. And I remember specifically, for some reason, heroin addicts having this craving for sugar. Yeah. Do you know why that is? I have no idea, but it I is a thing. I think there's some sort thing. of chemical reason, right? It is a thing, yeah. When I was... Uh, I told you about that second internship that, uh, that yeah, I had. Yeah, the one that was short-lived? Yeah, I remember at the time, I would actually just, there was a coffee set up, and I would just eat the sugar. That's because of that, man. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, I don't remember how I would do it if I put it in a cup with just a little bit of, I don't remember, water, I don't remember, but I would just, I would just keep going back for more sugar. It was so good. I would have coffees light and sweet. I don't even think about doing that nowadays. It must have been the fucking heroin thing. Yeah, probably. The fucking, so one day we go to Dunkin' Donuts and he orders a large hot chocolate and he's got, I'll never forget this dude. He used to talk like this. He was, oh, he was massive though. He was like 6'4". Must yeah. have been like 250. His hands were like triple. He was a big man, dude. Yeah, that dude was a dude. big motherfucker. Yeah. And I remember he had a bunch of like Halloween candy size bags. Of like He had a whole bag of miniature Reese's and miniature Snickers. And he gets a large hot chocolate. 
And I'm wondering, what is this guy going to do with this fucking candy? We're chatting. He puts it on top of the car and he starts opening these packages and he's throwing these miniature candy bars in the hot chocolate. Really? I'm like, bro, are you fucking out of your fucking mind? I love this. It's good. It's sweet. (laughs) I was like, Jesus Christ. So that was, after that, I was like, what's wrong with this guy? That's when I realized heroin addicts had a problem with sugar. But there was one other particular incident that made me really realize that I was at my all time low. Like, this is when I knew I was finished. We had to go get pills, but he didn't have them on him. So he asked me to drive him to Newark Mm -hmm. to go get it. When you're a drug addict and you need these pills, all worry kind of goes out the window and all kind of logic just escapes you. Normally, I would never go down there. But I was like, you know what? I need him. Let me go. So I go down there and he brings me to some sort of project. (laughs) It's just me and him. Yeah. I told you this, right? It's you got to refresh my memory. So I go out there. We're sitting in front of the place, right in front of the lobby, and I, and he goes, "I'll be right back. I'm gonna go fucking talk to the guy." So he goes inside in the lobby. I'm standing outside the lobby. I'm so zooted. Now, if anybody knows me, I have a temper. I'll fucking smack anybody. Like I'm pretty pretty angry guy. At work, they call me Angry Al. That's my nickname at work. Angry out. And, you know, I'll bark at anybody. But when I was on these fucking drugs, I was almost, the, that furious life of me almost left me. That angst, you know what I mean? Yeah. So some fucking guy comes up to me and grabs me and tries to rob me. Wait, wait, you're outside of the Yeah, car. I'm outside by myself. He's like right there in the lobby. Yeah. And I'm zooted waiting for this guy outside. High as a kite. <laughs> And this guy comes up to me and he looks at me, but he like kind of didn't really speak English. He was like a Spanish guy. But yeah. You could tell he was a druggie too. And he grabs me. I don't know what he even said to me, but I just look at him and froze. I don't know why, but I froze. And he tried to grab my pockets. All of a sudden, this guy, Larry, comes running out and fucking Dude, like Goldberg tackled this dude. Holy like shit. Like he just, he snapped out of his own high and protected me. Yeah. And slammed the fucking dude, scuffed him up real good. <laughs> and I kind of like, it happened so Larry. fast. I was stuck in a pause. I didn't know that I was getting robbed, but I was so high. Like I didn't know what to do. And I thanked him. Like he actually saved me that day. Yeah. I don't know if I would have snapped out of it and knocked this dude out. I don't, I don't know. Or he would have just manhandled me. I have no idea. But I remember after that, that's when I really realized I was like, man, I'm putting myself now in situations that I couldn't, that my mother never taught me to get into. You know, like I was, I was in a place that was so foreign that I'm like, okay, that's when I really, really, really realized, you know what? I reached an an all time bottom uh, and you know, you know, I got to get out of this. This was like, that was like my ultimate, ultimate realization. Do you have any situations? We've had many, you and I, but do you have any that was like, like that to me, how that affected me? Do you have any that was like, okay, I'm a little, because um, we always tried to quit all the time. How many conversations have we had in cars? Oh yeah. Talking about it. And- God, I have so many of those. I don't even. What, you like your lowest point of realization, I know? Uh, yeah, I felt like I had a, lot. a few of those uh, those those bottoms. Um, yeah, we've had quite a few. I've had similar things happen to me in Patterson, where 
Um, it's hard to, I don't know how much to incriminate myself, but I'll tell a story <laughs> or two. But Because um, you have many. Um, let's see. I mean, I had people rob me in Patterson a little bit. Like, not, not like uh, I was outside of the car. I was usually, I was not, if when I was down there, I was sick. So I wasn't on top of my game. Like, I wasn't totally, you know, I'm like lethargic. I'd be sitting there on a street with my window down. Not enough. Just, just miserable. Yeah. You know, and like, I remember one time just sitting there and I got my phone in my hand. Some dude just sticks his hand right in the car, grabs my uh, phone. It was a piece of shit phone. It didn't matter. Don't but, matter. It's the hood, man. Um, same thing happened with money in my hand once. Uh, I had a, yeah, one time I was, I was selling um, some car audio stuff to a group of guys <laughs> out, <laughs> out of my trunk. I was with someone else and uh, they, it was like these like three or four guys standing there and I'm showing them what I had. I have some subwoofers, uh, you know, head unit, whatever. I don't, I don't remember exactly what I had. Something you stole? <laughs> no, it was my stuff. Oh, okay. Me and the other person that was with me, we had, a, we had some stuff together. And uh, we're showing them and then all of a sudden another car pulls up full of guys. They get out and now they're hanging around my car. And then um, they try to grab it out of um, the other person's hands. It was a sub or something. And then uh, they start punching him. And he yells to me, he goes, get in the car and get ready to go or something like that, you know? While they were punching him? Yeah, they were just, and he's taking the punches. Jesus Christ. And so I run to the driver's side, I get in the car, I start it, and he runs around the other side and like just dives in to the passenger side and just grabs onto me and I take off. And <laughs> I'm in my memory it's kind of blurred, but I feel like there was a guy in front too. But I'm oh, not sure. But anyway, so we we just took off. The door is wide open, feet are dangling out of the car, and we're just flying. Oh man. They hop in their cars and they're chasing us. And now we're just <laughs> weaving through the streets of Patterson, blowing red lights, going up on sidewalks. And uh as soon as we crossed into like Haledon or something, they stopped. But Jesus I mean, Christ. I don't know if that was, that kind of just got off on a little. No, well, there was a situation there, that, but that made you realize, like, what the fuck am I doing? I mean, that's one of the things. You've had many. I mean, I think um, for me, I, it, the thing that I could talk about the, the lowest, I guess, what I think was a, the time where I had that experience, because I had to go through a bunch of things, like uh, a lot of different bottoms. But the, the last thing I did was, I had gone in and out of detoxes for a few years, I think. I was going to Newbridge Medical Center in Paramus, which is not a nice place at all. No? No. No, no, no. It's uh, all walks of life in there. Damn. It's wild. And um, the, uh, I, went to one, I went to a rehab in Florida, and even when I was there, I knew that when I came back, I was going to get high again. Damn. But, and, and I'm doing, um, I am doing heroin now. So I, uh, the very last thing for me was I, I started doing things I'm really not proud of, like you know, stealing from family members and stuff like that. But I was, um, my last stop was I got out of detox and there was no bed in the residential program. So I was just like four or five days in this program and that's nothing. You know, they yeah. try to wean you off with Suboxone or whatever. Yeah. And then you get out and you just still feel like shit, so... I, my mom had, uh, she had kicked me out 
I was staying at my dad's for a while. He kicked me out. And so the last stop I had, I had no money for an apartment or anything. So I went to my grandma's in Ocean County. And while I was down there, I, uh, I figured out ways to continue to get high. Jesus Christ. And I was stealing, you know, I was stealing their, you know, money and car. I was driving up to Patterson at night when she would go to sleep. And so all the stuff I've been through, the scary situations and all that stuff, uh, this, for some reason, was what got me. I don't know why. The guilt um, of stealing from my grandma yeah. when she found out. You know? Yeah, of course. Um, so I knew she was going to find out. Not while you're getting away with it. It's when right. you know right. she's actually affected. I knew it was coming, you know, and I knew I was going to have to face it at How'd some point. How'd she find out? What were you stealing from her? Money from the, uh, her debit card. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would, <laughs> when I, uh, so what happened was I was supposed to be calling this uh, Newbridge Medical Center every day for a bed to open up in the residential program. I'm supposed to be clean for this time until a bed opens. So I call every day. I'm actually calling every day, even though I'm getting high. Like, you How can't, do they expect you to be clean? You're not there yet. No, it's because I just got out of detox and I'm waiting for a bed for the residential program. So detox is just like the it medical It should be part. right after the other. It should, but it's a shit show at the state-funded places. Jesus there's too Christ. many people trying to get into treatment. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so finally there's a bed and they asked me, are you clean? I said, no. And they said, sorry, you know, you can't come. And yeah, I said, yeah. well, do you have a detox bed? They said, you've been here too many times this year. And oh, wow. so I felt hopeless, you know, because I was like, what am I going to do? I know that shit's about to hit the fan and uh, whatever. So one day out of the blue, I, I'm like, there was one day that I finally, I just didn't have it in me to go and do this again. The whole get the keys, get the card, steal yeah. the car, try to get to Patterson and back before she finds out thing. And, um, and I've, done, I've been through way more worse things that should have scared me How'd you me get straight. a fucking pin number to but get the money out? That's a, that's a story. Um, I'd like to know because drug addicts manage ways to... I've stolen stuff, but yeah. not more like stolen pills. I've never like got to that level. I'm curious how you're able to pull this shit off. I, that's why I want to know. I believe she asked me to help her set it up. Oh, and I knew when how. she asked me that I was done, you know, and because um, you know there's no options Poor when lady, you need to get yeah. high, you got to get high. That's that's not, but folks, that's this is the G's not like this. Trust me, I've known G for 20 years. He's not like the, the drugs. These drugs change who you are. Yeah, so I'm I'm a uh, if I got the timeline correct, I'm like 24 hours with nothing. And I'm just laying in this bed, just sweating, miserable. Withdrawal. Yeah, yeah withdrawal. And, uh, and out of nowhere, out of the blue, I get a phone call from this rehab. And anybody that knows anything about these state-funded rehabs, they don't call you. You have to call them. They called me out of the blue, and they just said, we have a detox bed for you, and you'll go straight into the residential program. So can you be here on this day? So, um, thank God that happened. That was like the first miracle for me because it was out of the blue. I've worked in treatment centers since then, and that's not how it goes typically yeah. with these type of state-funded places. So I went there, and um, while I was in there, my grandma got her statement, and she saw, 
she she reported it, and it was, there was going to be an investigation. But she was in communication with my dad, and uh. my dad was like, "Nah, he he probably did this," you know. So, and she didn't believe him. She couldn't possibly fathom that I would do something like that. Oh wow! You know, and then she got tickets too because of blowing tolls and stuff. Oh, man. And then, uh, so while I was in rehab, that happened, and this, you know, it wasn't my first, second, or third time in there in the, in rehab, and but this guilt hit me so hard because it was my grandma. Yeah. And um, I believe it helped motivate me, you know, to to really give, of the, to the, give it a the shot. Guilt, yeah. For some reason, you know, like I said, I've been through a lot of other things, but this thing, it, it really got me. And um, so when I got, I was in this program, and when I was there, there was like two or three other people in there with me that I knew. And, you know, we we had like Thanksgiving dinner together. And really? Stuff. Oh yeah. It was, and that helped me stay in there too. And, um, and then when I transferred to the, uh, the residential program, I knew something was different this time around. You know, they were, when, you, when I transferred, they said to me, do you have anything on you that you shouldn't? And, and you admitted- for the first time ever in my life, like in this type of setting, I had uh, saved in a, a few Suboxins oh. because I didn't actually trust that I could be off of it. You know, I was scared to come off completely because once you go to the residential program, it's you're over. not taking Suboxone. It's not like that today, but it was then. So, because this was in 2010, and uh, so I, I actually gave them up because you know I just wanted to try things different. You know, my counselor at the time was saying stuff like really simple things, like, um, you know, if you keep doing the same things, you're going to keep getting the same results. It's the know? truth, and so. I, uh, I had a little history already with trying to get clean, going to NA and AA meetings. And uh, so I had a little knowledge of it. And, uh, but then I decided as an experiment, I'm going to just try to do the opposite of what I always do. So I started listening to the speakers that would come in every day. And, uh, and then when it came time to leave there, there I didn't have too many options but uh, I was willing to go to, a, willing and didn't have an option anyway, to go to a halfway house. So I left the rehab after, I don't know, 21, 28 days. And I went to a place in Jersey City called the Flint House. So in there, there was like 40 guys at the time. It's just three, three floor building. And uh, like the second floor where I went, it's just bunk beds everywhere. No walls. Yeah. Just bunk beds. This wasn't a luxury Animal place. house, yeah. It was wild, and the, the cast of characters in there was amazing. You know, a lot of people, they think of these places and their times there, and it's like the most miserable experience ever. Yeah, yeah. But for me, it was great, because I was ready for it, and I wanted it. You know, I yeah. wanted to get clean. I knew that that's what I wanted. And, uh, yeah, they made us go to meetings every day, and we had chores in the house, and, and we had a lot of, you know, people in there that were pretty entertaining, Oh, All yeah. walks of life. Of course, yeah. And uh, Nobody's safe in the drug addiction world. No, no. And uh, I don't even know where we, what we were talking about. But while this was going on, I... Uh, well, I'm, the original thing I asked you was, what made you realize, what was the lowest point mm. where you realized, like, I really have a problem? And you basically explained it. That kind of was like the nail in the coffin for you. Yeah, that was the, that was the last thing for me. For some reason, that was it. And you know, now every year, 
on my, uh, that wasn't the end right there. That was the beginning of the end. But um, every year I call my grandma on my clean day because she did eventually find out and I talked to her and whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always remind her that's that great. she had a big part in this. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's I call great. every year. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a good uh, explanation for, you know, at least a low point when you realized, you know, yeah. that you had an issue. Yeah. I mean, just driving a Patterson every day is definitely realizing you're at yeah. a low point because that's what I was doing, you know, yeah. every day for a little bit. I mean, know? I think uh, me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate and lucky that um, my addiction never turned into that. Yeah. The real heroin and the shooting and all that, the sniffing. I, I, I only, doesn't make me better than you. It's just my story is just a little different. But uh, that day that I already mentioned about Lion Paul, that was like one of the main ones. And I knew like yeah. kind of after that, like I have to kind of stop. And um, I remember my mom, that's the thing. You know, one thing I want to ask you before I tell uh, my side of the coin is... um. Your your parents, right? You had a good relationship with both of them, would you say? Fairly. Or fairly. Different. Usually when people resort to taking drugs or, you know, obsessive use of alcohol or whatever it is, generally, it's a result of escaping, right? You're getting high to escape something. Or you're masking something. You're trying to run away from something that pains you. Mm-hmm. It's not always the case, but generally it is. And I'm sure you can attest to that, being that you were a person that went to a lot of meetings, heard a lot of other stories. Generally, it's people running away from issues, no? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely mixed opinions on that. Traumas and all that? yeah. I was mean, there, anything that, there is a lot of that, but there's also a lot of people that had good upbringings too, you know? So, yep. I mean, for me, I don't... Yeah, what I was going to ask you is, do you know, realize, think of anything that might have kept you doing them besides the physical addiction? Like, was there... I'm just asking, was there anything that you think subconsciously kept you in the grind of doing these drugs? Were you masking anything? Doesn't mean you were, I'm just curious. Was there anything that you think kept you there a little longer than you wanted to stay? I think, I mean, I do think I got clean fairly young, so I could have gone on way more years like a lot of people I know, but... um I think about this all the time because now I work in a treatment center. Yeah. And I work with a lot of people who are, you know, trained clinically and they talk about stuff like this a lot. Yeah. You know, what was it? You know, what's, what was going on? Why did you do it? Like, what was the uh, underlying cause, like you're talking about? So I, it got me thinking over the past couple of years. And uh, it's hard for me to, to really pinpoint it because, like, part of me thinks I just loved it. And that's why I did it. That's but then, very well a possibility. And then another part of me thinks, you know, like we said in the beginning, 
I was, I felt very, you know, shy, quiet, socially awkward, yeah. all that stuff, and it cured that for me. It made uh, man, me everything okay. yeah. that I wasn't. Makes sense. Know, it gave me the confidence that I needed gotcha. to be the person I wished I was. Makes perfect sense. But then, I guess there's a third part, but I don't think I could get into it. Yeah, if you don't feel comfortable, I, that's fine. Yeah. I, I just was curious, because I know most people, there is something always underlying. I know mine. Yeah. I wanted to ask you first yours. Yeah, I mean, there might be some other stuff, but... It's okay. You don't, don't have know, to. I don't know who's listening. Yeah, I understand. You don't have to. For but. me, um, it was my mom. My mom passed away in 2009 um, from cancer, esophageal cancer. I don't even like talking about it, but uh, that for sure was a big, I don't want to blame it on her because it's not her fault to me, but that was, how, that was my coping mechanism. It didn't start out that way. It probably started out just me having fun, but- the part of it, like you said, took away the depression, the shyness, all that stuff. Yeah. That's what really kept me in it. My mom got real sick towards the last two years of me doing that stuff, and it destroyed me. So that was what kept me really in it. I was constantly escaping. Yeah. I'm not good with coping that stuff, especially with somebody that I love with all my heart. My mom was my best friend over anybody in the world, so it was tough, man. You know, I would come home, see her. You know, she ended up getting a trach in her throat, a hole in her throat, and it just fucking... Worst kind of cancer you can get. There's yeah. almost like zero success rate with esophageal cancer, but I remember just coming home and seeing her like, like that, and I just couldn't... I couldn't fucking hang. Yeah. And so I would just get high every day. I was smoking pot, doing pills... I just, I just couldn't do it. And like, she's in and out of the doctor, in and out of the hospital, radiation, chemo. I never forget the first day I saw her shave her fucking head, like mm -hmm. destroy. My mom had lots of big hair. It fucking ruined me. And, and that was my coping mechanism. And I fucking hate myself. I hate that that was, this is hard to get through. Sorry. That was tough mm -hmm. that that was my coping mechanism because- yeah. I wasn't there for you know what I mean? Yeah. Oof, I don't mean to get emotional, but it's all right. I regret that I wasn't there for her. Yeah. It eats me every day. She needed me the most. My mom was separated from my father. They were divorced. The fact that I wasn't there to hold her when she was sick mm -hmm. murders me. And it eats me every day. I'll never, because she's not here no more. So I can't even tell her that. Yeah. If you got a mom, dude, whether, you know, or dad hug him because this feeling of regret is like it murders me every day and it sucks I wasn't there to help her through those rough times because I'm an emotional guy and I'm pretty sensitive I can't handle yeah that shit was too much she knew like my mom I've talked to my cousin Jeanette who was very close to my mom she knew like my mom understood why I wasn't there because I couldn't handle it, but still not good enough for me. Like I should have been there no matter what because being a parent now myself, all this stuff comes full circle and I look in my kid's eyes and I love them. I'd do anything for them. Yeah. I can't imagine what it would feel like to get abandoned like that when I need them. Yeah. It hits different with me now and it sucks. I, have, I live with a lot of regret. You know, and, and the worst part about it is like when she actually passed, it made me a better man. And I hate that even more. 
Mm. Because it's not fair that my mother can't enjoy or 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 what's the what's the word for it? Get to experience the mature me that became a man while she was alive. Yeah. It's not fair. My father can, who I love my dad. He's my father. But my mother raised me. He didn't raise me. Mm. So the fact that he gets to experience this, she doesn't, is not fair. And yeah. that, that shit eats me forever. But she was like the main reason I, I quit. She was the main, she was the main reason. I, I kind of remember, didn't, you did quit right before, right before she, she died. I quit right before she died for like a couple months because I was thinking of her yeah. and I was going weekly, daily to the hospital to yeah. visit her and it was destroying me. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it never hit me that I would actually lose my mom. Yeah. I was like, that's not going to happen. It's just, I have to get her through this and I should be there for her. She wouldn't want me. So I, I quit. Before I quit, I was in real bad shape. My mom was living in the hospital for like weeks at a time mm. and the town was donating uh, like gift baskets to our house. And they would have like canned soups, goods, because they know my mom was in and out of the hospital. So they were like donating to us. Yeah. And they would give like gift certificates to like shop, right? And shit like that. Yeah. And I I wasn't really that close with anybody. You were you were fucking at that point, you were really gone. We weren't really hanging out at that point. Yeah. You were doing heroin at that point. And you were on like your own tangent. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have anybody to share with, but my cousin Louis, shout out my cousin. That's my brother. I don't have any brothers. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an only child. But if I had to pick anybody that was my actual blood brother, it'd be my cousin Louis. You see him. He's in my grid all the time. Yeah. He's a quiet dude, but that's like, I love my cousin Louis. That's like, if I die for any man, you know, that would be him. He's like, that's my homie. Anyway, I pick him up after visiting my mom because it would destroy me. I wouldn't do it. I would go visit my mom in the hospital. I'd be there five minutes, 10 minutes and leave. I can't like, the whole environment freaks me out. Mm-hmm. And I would like leave. And I'd pick him up. I'd use the gift card. We'd go to fucking ShopRite. We'd smoke a blunt beforehand, spend $200 in bullshit, go back to the house and just get zooted mm-hmm. and just sit there. I did this all the time. And that's, that's not a good habit, man. So I realized like I got to stop. So I stopped and then I was going there, going there. And the day before she died, I go, I go to the hospital bed. This is the first time I stayed for over an hour. First time ever was that yeah. day before she died. It was weird. It was like my body knew. Yeah. You know? And I remember going to the hospital bed. Her head was always shaved. She had a handkerchief on her head. And, and I just stayed there. And I, I hugged her legs. And yeah. I just laid in the bed with her. And she just petted my head like she always did in the house. And we just sat there. And I was silent for like an hour. Yeah. And I stayed there with her. And then her friend came, and then I left when her friend came. The next day, I was at Grossi's gym. I was with my boy Dino, Dino Brown. Shout out, Filipino Dino. I was with him at Grossi's. So that story's coming around. And uh, my dad called me and said, we got to go to the hospital. And I went there, and I rushed. And that's, you know, I almost got kicked out of the hospital and arrested because they kicked everybody out of the room. She was bleeding uncontrollably. They rushed like all these doctors in. And I remember seeing two doctors outside of her room 
just talking about normal things that were going on with their day and they were laughing mm -hmm. and it destroyed me and I almost murdered them both. Wow. You know how doctors are. Yeah, it's yeah, just a yeah. normal day for them. Yeah. You don't see me sitting there, motherfucker. That's my mother dying in there. I almost killed them. I started punching the fucking walls. I was breaking fucking picture frames. I went crazy. They almost kicked me out. And then I go in the room and then they come in and tell me the bad news while I'm next to my grandma and grandpa and I lost it. I don't even remember anything. That, the next two weeks after that was nothing. Day of her funeral, you come into play. Mm. You remember that? Yeah. I, uh, I decided I wanted to get high and I was already clean. Yeah. I called you and you came and, you know, I thank you for that. You know, you, you were there for me. I know you don't want to give it to me, but you, you knew I needed it. And I'm a man. Yeah. It's not, you know, so you helped me out. I thank you for that. That night I took the pill. I called my friend Angie, who I met. Shout out Angie Ma, Jersey City. Uh, I felt so lonely that night. The first night I was out with my mom, like for real. I had uh, mm -hmm. the night of her funeral. I called Angie. Angie came to my house and slept in my house. Only on some friendship. There was nothing like that. Yeah. And she just slept there with me because she knew I needed somebody to be there with me. And then that was it. And yeah. It only lasted for a couple months after that. Yeah. I ended up meeting a girl. We were just talking earlier about getting into relationships mm -hmm. right after it to help, you know, the, the transition into normal life. Yeah. I hated my ex-girlfriend, but it helped me, to be honest, yeah. get through it. I got to experience family with her family. And uh, I only did pills for two more months after that, and I stopped. Yeah. And that was it. That was another fucking, but yeah, sorry I went off on that. I mean, but. even though you, uh, you know, maybe, you know, your mom obviously didn't get to see it now, but the fact that she got the last few months with you clean, I'm sure she knew. She had to have. Yeah, yeah, I think. You know, think. I'm sure that that's, you know, I'm sure she was happy about that. Yeah, my dad told me after, um, I was actually going to ask you that question next. Um, did your parents ever admit to you that they knew you were high or they said anything to you? Because my parents never did. So it happened behind my back. I didn't know. My mom uh -huh. brought it up to my dad. Uh -huh. And she noticed that some of her painkillers were missing. I wouldn't take them all. I would always leave her some, yeah. but I was still stealing them. And my dad said, yeah, I started to notice he'd come to the cafe a little high. Like He called it flying. Mm. He was flying and him and his friends noticed. And they wanted to collectively bring something to me. It's weird. My dad's, I don't really consider my dad a wise man. Yeah. No offense to him. I just, I don't really consider him to be overall wise. Certain things he is, because as a 61-year-old man, you're going to be wise in some aspect. Yeah. But generally, I don't really consider him a wise man. But he said to her, don't worry. Just let him go. He'll come around. Mm. And he was right. I did it on my own. I, you know. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't go to rehab or nothing, but that yeah. conversation happened. I didn't know until she passed. They told me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my my parents called me out. My really? mom did. First? She was the first I one? I still have dreams of my mom noticing, recognizing that I'm high. Really? Yeah, occasionally. Because she could tell immediately because wow. of my, my eyes, my pupils. Well, but, yeah, because you have light eyes. Yeah, That's another so thing. easy to see, yeah. They make your eyes pinholes. Yeah. But um, she, uh, yeah, she would always call me out. I, I actually had to stop going there because of it. 
You really? Know? So when I didn't have an apartment or anything, I just had a suitcase in my trunk because I couldn't go home. Really? Also, no. you would just keep one on deck? Oh, yeah. I never went, went there. Really? I couldn't because she knew I was high. And in my dreams, occasionally, if I'm going to relapse, as soon as I get high, or if I'm thinking about getting high, I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to avoid seeing my mom? Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. It could be dark out, pitch black, and she's like, you know, 50 feet away. She knew. Oh, man. Well, mother knows best, right? Yeah. My dad just knew because I, he didn't know what to look for, but he just knew because I He had a feeling I, I you were off. It. Oh, okay. Yeah, I came out with it. It was really what happened. Well, oh, really? My mom called me out first, but eventually I admitted it. Oh, man. Yeah. Now that you brought up your dad, I have a question that I want to ask you. There's this crazy, crazy story. I know I'm backtracking a little, but I can't finish this podcast without <laughs> asking this story. Now, we've touched on some crazy stories that you've had already, especially in Patterson with the, with the audio systems and all that. But there's one story in particular that always sticks in my mind that you did and went through that I have to touch on. And it has to do with your dad's house. Okay. Now, I, my memory's not too sharp with this stuff because we were all in a drug haze and it was going on. But there's a couple things that occurred in this time period. <laughs> your dad... <clears throat> Didn't you sell his car without him knowing or his permission? Money for drugs? Yeah, so what happened was he had an old uh, like a Toyota Camry or something like that. It was, God only knows how old it was. Thing couldn't even pass inspection. But he was driving it for a long time, and then he, he finally got a new car. And I, my car was just shot at that time. It didn't even run, so... He started letting me use it here and there, and uh, I, you know, I wanted the car, and we talked about it, but it wasn't official that he was giving it to me or not. But one night I did need money to get high, so I, I don't remember for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty positive I sold it for a few hundred dollars to the owner of Krausers. <laughs> In, in, in Oakland. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Like, Were you living with your dad at the time? Somewhere between three and six, I'd say. I don't know, maybe eight tops. I don't, I don't know if it was 300 or 800. Yeah, I was living with him at the time. That was the last time I lived with him. Okay. I went straight to rehab after that because I knew he was going to find out about it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went to I mean, that's, that was my cycle. I just, you know, every few months I'd have a consequence. You know, I'd, I'd get arrested I'd go to a detox. Jesus come out, Christ! I try to, you know, try to get high successfully. You know, just on weekends. Yeah, yeah. Just drink, just smoke weed. Just that never lasted. Twenty four hours. Um, I'd always go back to what I really wanted. You know, it was just the just over and over and over the same thing. But yeah, so I went back to detox, and uh, I never moved back to my dad's house after that. There's one other story though that uh, besides you selling your dad's car. The Chinaman. Mm -hmm. The Chinaman. You got to tell the Chinaman story. Because so, I think that you're absolutely out of your fucking board. I, I was working at this restaurant called, called Portobello's. The king of, of fucking Cougar. That's the Cougar Haven right there. Is it? Oh, it's known like that Cougars go there to get drunk and find young cock. <laughs> <laughs> For real. I hated this place. Yeah, it sucks. In fact, when I think about my life 
in all the jobs I've had, this might be the worst. What were you, like a busboy or something? I was a food runner. Oh. There's like five dining rooms in that gigantic restaurant. There was just two of us serving the whole place. Jesus Christ. And most of the time I was working, I was dope sick. And, uh, oh, really? Because I needed the money that I made at the end of the night to go, to go cop. So I, uh, yeah, one night I overhear in the kitchen. So it's, it's weird. It was an Italian restaurant, and, uh, but there was a sushi bar. And um, this guy, he was actually a Chinese guy. He was the sushi chef. Okay. And I overheard the owner uh, talking to him about trying to find an apartment for him or a room for him to stay locally in Oakland. And they were, you know, having a hard time finding one. So I, I chimed in and I said, I got a room I can rent. And they said, when? I said, tonight. I said, uh, I don't remember how much I charged. I really don't remember that. It wasn't much couple hundred a week or something like that. I said, like, you know, give me two, three weeks up front. I don't remember what it was, or maybe even just one week up front. And he moved in that night. He came and I moved him into what was my little sister's bedroom oh in my, my dad's house. You're sick I didn't, fuck. I didn't consult with my dad. My dad wasn't home often because he was staying at my now stepmom's house in Queens. So... Uh, I figured I'd just deal with it later, you know, when he finds out. So I moved this guy in. He asked if he could bring his own bed. I said, sure. So he shows up with a piece of plywood. And <laughs> just he, wood? Just wood. And he puts it what? on top of the already existing bed. Was he a fucking monk? He prefers to sleep on plywood. Why? He must have been a <laughs> monk or something. Maybe. What the fuck is that shit? I don't know. But he moved right in with the room exactly the way it was. The dressers filled the toys in there. With wood. And everything. And put the wood in there. <laughs> Your shop. And See what drugs do to you. <laughs> my God. The stuff this guy. And he seen. never really spoke English either, right? He didn't speak one word of English. <laughs> <laughs> and a few days later, my dad's home. He sees the Chinese guy come walking down the stairs. He's just like, you know, who the hell is that? <laughs> I told him what happened and what I did. That's a pretty calm guy. He's very calm. Yeah. yeah. He was pissed, but he let him stay and he kept uh, collecting the rent. What? Well, yeah. He, he let him stay. Yeah. So he stayed there for, I don't know, maybe another year or so. Get the fuck out of here. And the craziest thing is how these things work out is when I got out of, uh, I told you I went to that halfway house where I got it clean. When I got out of there, I moved back in with my mom. And I had no way to get around because my license was suspended and I had sold my car that I did have. Um, and I was talking to my dad on the phone and he said, the sushi guy left behind his bike, like his bicycle. Oh, yeah? So he brought it to me at my mom's house. And that bike, I rode everywhere for like the next six months. Really? Oh, yeah. You still have it? Yeah, I still have it. Well, what is it? It's in my basement right kind of now at my apartment. I, just, I couldn't tell you. You couldn't tell No, it was like a spray-painted mountain bike. Oh, Jesus you know? Christ. And uh, yeah, I rode that bike everywhere. And I rode it to like, I rode it to meetings and yeah, it became my way of transportation for a while. Oh my God. Yeah, that's shot. I wanted to, but, I wanted to share that story because when he told me that, <laughs> I thought that was the most shot story I've ever heard. 
Yeah. <clears throat> There's one story. Um, I know you have a similar one. I guess I'll uh, share mine first. After quitting, like six months into quitting, I remember um, I was in my, my house. So when, when, when my mom passed, as I mentioned before, I had no place to stay, obviously. So I moved in with my dad immediately. He lived in Lodi in a, in a nice, nice apartment upstairs in, a, in on Harrison Ave. <clears throat> I remember I, I moved in there real quick. That whole situation was a blur. Even moving was a blur. But I remember I was already clean like six, eight months. And I was in my house by myself. My dad wasn't home, nothing. And I was going through my cabinet to clean it out in my computer desk. And I remember I go through and I find a bag. In the bag was a brand new, untouched 80 milligram OxyContin. Oh, wow. This is like after I'm already, mom been passed. I already went through my terrible quitting story that hell I went through for two weeks. Then I, I find this pill and I'm like, I'll never, for, I'll never forget this, this day. I look at it, I keep it in my palm and I just stare at it. And like, I remember my vision started closing in on it, but everything got blurry and like, kind of like I was losing vision, you know, like it was really yeah. honing in on it. Like, what do you call that? A bokeh effect in a camera mm -hmm. where like every, the whole depth of field is like, yeah. I remember looking at it and I didn't take my eye off of it. I had the weirdest feeling in my body. I look at the pill. I just walked while I kept my eyes honed in on it. I walked to the bathroom, threw it in the toilet and hit flush. Oh my God. I'll never forget that feeling. I felt crazy. I felt great afterwards, but yeah. I felt... I felt fucking absolutely out of my mind. And I remember I texted my boy Dylan, who I used to work with, who I want to have him on here and he share his story because he's as equally as crazy as yours, but he's not, a, he's not into this type of thing. So unfortunately, he won't do it. Yeah. But I remember I texted him and he was at the time getting caught up and he was like, Why oh, you, you should have gave me that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he said. You should have gave it to me. And don't you have a similar story? I remember you telling me one time that you had a, a, one of those awakening moments where you could have threw your life down the toilet a second time and you didn't. I have, I have two of, well, no, one. I, th I wonder, I think you're thinking of a time where I went in a medicine cabinet at yeah. someone's house. I think that's what I was, yeah. after you were clean already. Yeah, maybe a couple of years. And um, I still, you know, if I'm, I don't really do this now, but... In the first few years after getting clean, I would definitely open up medicine cabinets in people's bathrooms and just see what they got. Yeah. You know, and then this one I went in, I saw a bottle of Perks, Oof. five milligram Percocets. And I remember just, I took out the bottle and I was just holding it. And I'm just like, you know, only a couple of these, right? Yeah. Now, two of these, I'd, <laughs> yeah, I'd be done for, you know? And like, I, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, there was a time where I had no choice holding this, you know, on what I was going to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And it, I actually wasn't tempted at all. I was just looking at it, and I was just amazed that I didn't want it, and that I was able to just put it back in the cabinet and close it and walk away. That and realization not about it. That's it was, the greatest feeling on the planet, man. Yeah, it was crazy. You could throw mm -hmm. probably a pound of them in front of us right now, and 
either of us, well, actually, with our energies in the same room, no, I'm just you kidding. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm confident that we'd both, like, uh, get that out of here. Because I love life so much now that, like, yeah, that is, like, the worst fucking shit on the planet. No, nah, I wouldn't do it. But there was a point in time. Yeah. That's fucking, you know, that's, that's good. It, those are the most liberating situations. No, it's great. You, you have those over and over in the beginning, all different types of situations. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's unreal. And I know a lot of people, you know, what hurts me the most about all of this is, you know, when we got into this whole situation, it was new. Nobody was really doing it. Nobody was able to get warned about it. You know, we got into it in the very beginning in its infancy stages. And I hate to call it the pioneering stage because, you know, anytime you, you pioneer something, it usually comes with praise, you know? Mm-hmm. This is nothing to praise. But I sometimes I think like you and I caused together collectively so much disruption in the Verona Cedar Grove area. And I feel responsible even though it's not our fault, but I feel responsible for a large portion of like the, the fellow kids in the area that got, you know, hooked on the shit and, you know, dude, we lost so many people we grew up with. Like it, it, you could safely say it wiped out an entire generation of fucking good kids, man. Yeah. And it, 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 it kills me. I know it's not our fault. I know it. Even when we used to, hang out at Dunkin Donuts and kids used to come up to us that were younger that looked up to us and saw us doing it and they'd want to buy it I vividly remember you and I personally like you mentioned this is going to come full circle with the story you shared earlier with that 13 year old kid giving you that lesson we did the same thing to them yeah at least told them you shouldn't do this if you want to buy it it's on you but you should not do this it's not good for you doesn't mean we're better for doing that, but I remember us giving lectures, vivid lectures. Oh, yeah. I always warned everybody. You know, but, I, you know, I guess we treated it as, like, you're your own you're your own man. You make your own decisions in life. Yeah. But you shouldn't be doing this. I mean, a lot of these people are doing better now, too. Yeah, Some of them were able to walk away from it. But we also never... But, so many are dead, dude. Yeah so many but we all didn't know better we, like like I just said we, we got this in the birth of it all yeah it's crazy like what it became now it's like yeah it's crazy dude I see people at work every day yeah I try to talk to them but if you don't want to do it yourself you don't have it in you to stop people could talk to you till they're blue in the face it's not it's not gonna work no yeah Nothing anyone ever said to me influenced me. No. But, but I think, you know, that we both got clean also is a positive influence on other people too. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast. You know, I wanted yeah. to, I want people that are in need that I, you're, you're like living proof. I guess you could say we both are, but I always point you as the main example. Like you're living proof that like there is light at the end of the tunnel. You could get clean and all that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it feels better. The one, the one thing I really want to touch on is the craziest part about getting clean, craziest part, and to me is the hardest part, 
And I think it might largely be a reason why people relapse is because when you stop these things, all of your feelings and emotions rush in at the most alarming rate. And I'm not even talking, I'm talking about even physically, you immediately start shitting your brains out. Immediately. Yep. Not only that, all your emotions come rushing in, which are very hard to deal with. You've been numbing your emotions for so many years that when they finally hit you, it's almost like you're a fucking newborn baby all over again. It really is. Everything you experience in Literally. life for the first time after getting clean, it's like brand new. Which is a good thing, but it's also a very bad thing. Yeah. Probably leans more bad because you can't handle the, 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 the anxiety because it hit you. The depression, your mind is not used to getting happy on its own anymore. So for that first, I could safely say a year, six months to a year, to get your opiate receptors back takes a while. And for you to get happy normally again takes a minute. Yeah. So you're depressed that whole time until you finally start feeling those things creeping back in. Yeah, it's that scary. takes some time for sure. I, I remember thinking in the beginning that it was impossible to be happy again. Impossible. But, but uh, you have to just stick it out. It's all yeah. about just you got to go through the motions. And a lot of people can't handle, especially, dude, yeah. when you want to get intimate with a girl over again, mm-hmm. coming back to what I was talking about earlier, how it takes a guy, can't speak for a woman, a longer time to orgasm on those pills. Mm-hmm. When you stop, <laughs> it's like you're a fucking virgin again. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of guys' biggest fear, you know, when getting clean. And then, which in turn makes you more insecure. <laughs> but you just got to put in your head yeah. like it's just because I have yeah. to just build that tolerance back yeah. up again, build that strength. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And, and when you're getting clean, I mean, a lot of people do need a lot of, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people need some other support. You know, there's a lot of different routes out there you can go. But I mean, most. The common one is like twelve step fellowships. Yeah, yeah. Like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, and of course, when you go to rehab, you're exposed to those things. But for me, I had to be—I was surrounded by support in, in those early days to get through all these first things. Otherwise, I don't know if I could have done it. You know, it's from, hard from man. the sober living that I was in to just being in uh, the twelve step fellowship and all the people that I met in there that took me under their wing and kind of showed me what to do and I kind of emulated them and it helped a lot. I don't know if I could have done it without it because at the end I was pretty hopeless, you know, in my mind. I was, I was, I didn't think there was any chance that I would ever live a normal, decent it's life. It's hard. Again. And it's, it's crazy how things have, just by taking some suggestions and direction. It's uh, hard. I heard somebody on a podcast uh, last week say when he was kicking heroin or painkillers, painkillers, he felt hollow inside. He felt empty, not only emotionally, but physically, because you're shitting, literally, everything in you out, because those things constipate you. Yeah. So after a while, you, you are shitting while you're taking them, but it's yeah. just backed up shit that's just finally coming out. Yeah. He says like when you finally quit and you're vomiting and shitting, you feel like you have nothing left in, your, in you at all. Like It's like a terrible feeling. He yeah. called it like he felt almost hollow, he says. And I totally agree. Not only that, but emotionally, you just like, it takes a while. 
And then the worst thing about it was it that changed me forever is how emotional I am now. I don't know if it's a combination of my mom passing plus me quitting, yeah. but dude, I could watch a fucking commercial <laughs> with a puppy and start fucking crying like a yeah. baby. I remember that in the beginning for sure. Dude, how sensitive do you become? It's like unbelievable. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I remember I remember feeling like that. You, you know, anything. Just yeah, like you said, dude. commercials. Dude, it, it's like the it's like everything is a sensitive hair trigger. Yeah. Like you're just you could just let off. <clears throat> but luckily, you and I both are on the, the good side of things now, the good side of the coin, if you will. Both clean. Right after you got clean. Right after you landed a dream gig that some people would consider a dream gig, you started working for the show Ink Masters. Yeah. How was that? Not to mention so, you're tatted up from fucking all over your body. Well, it, it was really crazy. I mean, how did, the, how did you land that gig? So, um, so like I said, I was uh, very involved with going to. Uh, going to meetings and stuff like that. So in, um, so yeah, in the beginning and early sobriety, it was two things simultaneously. So this is kind of what motivated me to stay clean too, was um, first I left the halfway house, mostly because I, I wanted to join 96, because Corey and them, they needed a bass player. Yeah. So uh, my mom let me move back in, you know, which was a miracle because she had changed her locks on me multiple times in the past, but I didn't have to beg or anything. She, I think she saw. Yeah, she can tell by looking at you. But just, so I'm doing that. I'm already just, I'm so, I'm so pumped up on life. Yeah. Know, I'm feeling so good, I'm sober. I'm doing what I always wanted to do. Not like we were rock stars or anything, but like I always wanted to play a, play in a band, you know, especially with good friends. And then, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to AA meetings and stuff and, because I rode the Chinese guy's bike to them and met these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in one of these meetings, I meet a guy. Uh, we we kind of hit it off right away. We had a lot of things in common. He's like maybe 10 years older than me. And uh, he texts me one day. We're not even that close. He texts me and he says, Geez, something like, uh, you want to come work on this TV show with me? I was like, sure, what is it? He says, it's a tattoo TV show. Like, I, I could use an extra hand. Okay. I just need you to pick me up. And I said, sure. So that was uh, Ink Master season two. He was the shop manager. So obviously it's a TV production. So producers and anyone on the, the, whole, uh, the whole team, I mean, nobody really knows anything about how to run a tattoo shop. Yeah, of course. So that's where my friend James comes into play. So because he, uh, he, he ran and he managed shops in New York throughout the 90s, I think early 2000s. And uh, he knew a lot of people, so he was recommended. So he was the shop manager, and also he's a paramedic. So he was like double. Oh, sick! You know, so he was a medic and uh, the shop manager, and then he brought me on as a shop assistant. So for both of us in early sobriety, I might have had a year. He might have had two. Um, we started going there, and now all of a sudden we're just in this uh, this studio, you know, with this pretty big TV show. Yeah. Um, it was only season two, but it was still, uh, it was already popular. You know, it got a lot more popular after that. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
we, we felt so out of place, you know, in the beginning. We were just, we had a room, a tattoo supply room, and uh, we just hung out there all day. Like, because it's long hours working in TV production, so. Yeah, of course. like 12-hour days, and we were just sitting there and BS all day long. It was great, actually. And then, uh, yeah, we did that on and off for the next, uh, I don't even know how many years. Oh, sick. My, and, I, and I got a lot of, you know, I moved up a lot on that show and did a lot of jobs that I never thought whatever I'd be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I went to school with you for audio engineering. I ended yeah. up in the TV production. You know? That's so sick. I became a, uh, you know, the, the shop assistant to a challenge associate producer to a challenge producer, field producer, and... Uh, yeah, and then shop manager too here and there. I've done everything you could do on like in a, on a TV production on that show almost, you know, even yeah, set yeah. dresser once. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, yeah that's it, a pretty it, sick was, gig. it was pretty cool. I mean, it was like a big difference in my life from what I was doing just a year or two before to to then, you know. It's a crazy life though. Yeah. Like I'm doing it's hard to have a relationship and have that job. Yeah. But at the time, it was uh, I, I loved it, you know, yeah. playing in the band and working for this TV show. Yeah, nine shout out nine and, six, uh, and it was just uh, it was great, man. I, I mean, I, I you know helped me feel good about myself because I was obviously I was a uh, drug addict for years yeah. leading up to this, and now I'm working on this uh, pretty big production. And it was it was good. I mean, it was, it was exactly what I needed. And I did it, like I said, on and off. I even did a gig with them. The last thing I did was last spring of 2022. I didn't. I didn't actually go to the to film with them on site or anything like that. I just helped with some prep work, but that was the last thing I did with them. What's even uh, cooler is after that, you actually returned, kind of to your roots with drug addiction, and you're in the field of recovery now. Yeah, still to the present day, right? Yeah. Where did you start? You started at a turn. What's the place? It's called Turning, Turning Point? Point in Patterson. You started there. Yeah. What were you there? I just worked in the, the call center. So I worked in admissions. I, I don't even know what my exact title, title was. was there. I honestly don't even remember. Well, if it's anything like the town, took, I'm sure it's unorganized. I took, <laughs> I took a ton of calls every day. People, I was on, we were on the front lines, you know, taking all the calls. Yeah, it's rough over there. Yeah, it was wild. It was, um, most of that time there was like during the peak of COVID lockdowns because I had made a decision that I didn't want to work in TV production anymore. So, and I thought I had a, a gig lined up. I wanted to get like a normal job where I was going to have a pension yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. working with you. Yeah, that would have been sick. And uh, Still can, but and I then think that, you're too far gone now with this other thing. I think so. Yeah, so when that, I, when that fell through, I was kind of just living off savings for a few months, just trying to figure it out, what I was going to do. And, uh, and then uh, I thought I was going to be working with you on the railroad, and then when that fell through, because they, you know, wanted, they did the background check last step. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what to do, so I reached out to a friend of mine who worked at Turning Point. So I started working there. I was kind of confused. I didn't know if I wanted to go back to TV production or not. Yeah, but so I just went to to Turning Point. There's a, other stuff in the middle of that too, other little jobs, but um, I was there for about a. I don't know, a couple, a couple of years, two or three years, and I was part time for a while, and then I was full time during the COVID lockdown time, and uh, and then I went back to Ink Master for one season, and then that's when COVID really hit, actually, and then all production got shut down. I was, I made a decision to go back into TV production, then COVID hit, 
and it all got shut down. Uh. And then I got an opportunity to go to the place I'm at now. Oh, sick. Yeah. And then um, after that, you, you got another job at a, that's even better at a place that you work at currently. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so I, uh, I, yeah, I left uh, that place while I was there during like pandemic era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a, an opportunity to go to a new place that wasn't even open yet. I think I'm going to leave the name out of this one. Yeah, I got you. You don't need um, to. But so I got this opportunity to go there and basically help, you know, before it even opened. And your position here is, is, is far greater than the yeah. previous. Yeah, some director of admissions here. Sick. And uh, yeah, it's a lot different. Different type of place. The, uh, the last place was a very, you know, it was a state-funded type place. And it was pretty wild, you know. Low, low bottom. I bet oh, you man. come across some crazy yeah. cases where you work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Is then, there any that like stick out in your head that you could share? Obviously, you're not going to drop names, but... Um, I mean, I, I can't even... Yeah, I'm sure uh, there's too many. There's, I've seen all kinds of chaos, <laughs> you know, whether it be just people getting Narcan in the front lobby. Jesus Christ. Or, uh, it's probably chaos, oh, which yeah. suits you. You like fucking thrill. You like uh, insanity. I, I do. I, I thrive in it for some reason. Yeah, that's that's, that's your know. sweet spot. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty wild. Every day, even where I'm at now, it's more of a like a higher end place, but it comes with yeah. different types of drama. So yeah, yeah. It, there's always something going on, and it's it's wild. Well, what's yeah. best about this whole thing? We just covered the whole journey, everything. Well, most of it. You meeting me and us going on our crazy tangent. Going through all the hardships, getting clean, up to present day, you ended up creating this successful and hilarious dark humor meme page that took off on a on a, on a pretty significant small level. Uh, called uh, it's on Instagram. The at is don't drink and go to meetings. Right, that's the full. Yeah, that's it. Don't drink and go to meetings, and it is fucking. Hilarious! I, I love that page. A lot of my friends ended up finding it, actually, and like sending me the memes. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's my great. man's page. It's pretty funny. How, what? Yeah. What? When did you decide to do that? And uh, what was the main like purpose behind it? I think it's great. I think it, it, it's it's ther- probably therapeutic for you as well, even though it's pretty dark and some people get offended at some of the oh, shit you do on there. It's very therapeutic, but I think it's great for you. Yeah. No. So. Uh... How long has it been? Three years now? Almost four. Almost four? I, I think November will be four. I mean, I'm not as active as I used to be. It's kind of hard to keep up on the same topic. Yeah. Like on daily posts, but I keep it going, you know, as much as I can. I think it's fucking but, um, hilarious, the fucking page. I mean, I always, uh, I remember when Instagram first came out and then I, we, the first memes started coming around. I remember thinking like it would be hilarious to, uh, to make memes about addiction. And then I remember coming across some pages that were already doing it um, called Dank Recovery and Bill Wilson, though. Those were like the first two big ones that got popular. And Bill Wilson got banned, right? Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson though, that's still around. Oh, it is. They, they got banned for a while, and then the account came back. Oh, sweet. So, um, yeah, so those two pages I would follow, and I... 
you know, I thought they were hilarious. And they I are. always said, like, one day I'm going to make one. But, you know, it never happens. So really, it, what happened was I was at um, working at Turning Point. I was actually at the lowest point of my sober life mentally. I was, you know, because I, I kind of regretted quitting this job that I had. And now I'm sitting here at this rehab in the call center. Yeah. And I have no idea what my future's looking like. And so on my downtime, I'm sitting there. I just decided to make this page. And I didn't think I was actually going to make content. I was just going to troll other pages. Yeah, yeah. And then I made one or two memes, and I just got hooked. And I started following all the other recovery meme pages. that Supporting were each other. Yeah, they were. It's yeah, they looked like they were all. They all kind of knew each other or whatever. And uh, you know the what I I started like I said I got hooked. I started making them and posting them regularly, and then eventually, um, I guess caught a little attention. The 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 first thing that happened was uh, let's see, I shared a lot of other pages in my story, their posts, and then. Um, I think what really got the page going was uh, the page Dank Recovery reposted one of my memes, and I got a bunch of uh, I got a bunch of followers from that, and then um, other pages followed me after that, and then really it just grew from other people sharing sharing the content, sharing the memes and their stories, or reposting, and it was really just those first. Uh, it was Dank Recovery, Bill Wilson, though, and my favorite page, uh, Relapse Row. Those, I like that page. Those three sharing sharing the memes really. I love that page, the Relapse got, Row. Uh, it was the best. It's so good. That one's gone. Yeah. Oh, it is. That page has been gone for years now. That's a shame because I remember loving that one. It was too good. That's why it was just. Yeah, it was good. It was a little too offensive to today's people. Well, I love that page. Yeah. I, I suggest everybody go check it out. It's on Instagram. It's at Don't Drink and Go to Meetings. Yeah, it's also on. Um, it's also on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah, and everything. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah, go check that out. <clears throat> um, do you have anything you want to say to the listeners out there that may be? in the same place as you or have been that were at where you are or were at one point in time? Do you have any, since you're in the field and it's your position, do you have anything? I mean, there's nothing you could really, you know, say too much, but is there anything that you have in mind that you'd like to share that can maybe help somebody out there listening that there is hope and don't give up? Well, it definitely seems like it's impossible to do. It might seem like you're too far gone or you'll, You'll never get better, you know. Some people can, but you're not gonna. But it is possible, and um, I think there's a lot of resources out there. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to navigate the rehab world and who's gonna take your insurance or you don't have insurance. Who's gonna, you know, are there grants? Are there charity cares? Whatever. And there, all these places exist. It's not that hard. You just sometimes need a a little help, you know. And uh, what we could do is we could post up some resources. When, we, when the episode drops too, like some links to absolutely to some hotlines and to some, uh, I know I know a few different things we could post there, but uh, definitely reach out to somebody. There's a lot of help out there, even if it seems like there's not. And um, yeah, that's I mean, 
that's really all I got on that. Well, <clears throat> closing out, I just want to say that in no way, shape, or form were G and I glorifying drug use of any sort. We were simply just sharing our journey, which had good and bad times that came along with it. We reflected on them all, and we hope to inspire or help anyone going through the hell that is drug addiction. We want you to realize and hear for yourself that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You are not alone. It's okay to seek out help to get better. Even though it seems impossible, just remember, G here is living, breathing proof. The gift of life should not be taken for granted. You only have one, so treat it as such and make the best of it. Thank you, my boy, for coming by. We have to do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Focus on other stuff, not too much, not too much drugs. Yeah, we'll get another topic. Also, real quick, I just want to say, you could always reach out in the DMs too, and if I can help point you in the right direction, I will. Oh, he always will. Hit his DM. Once again, at don't drink and go to meetings. I'm not going to share his personal because fuck you. <laughs> All right, take care, my boy. All right, you too.